Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 154 of your All Can Hear podcast. I'm your host today, Patrick, and joining me today is my Chimerical co host. It is Jonathan, and I'm the only one here today. And uh, you notice it's, it's a little uh, quiet today. It's just me, Jonathan, and me because um, it's, 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 I guess it's a good moment, sort of the broach the subject that we, it's all everybody's minds right now. And if you know anything about us at AYCH, we're known for sort of like recording and sort of scheduling well into advance. And this this is the start. This is the first week that will be kind of more on a more week to week basis. And that's just sort of due to with everything that's going on with uh, COVID-19 right now. We're just trying to do our best to kind of recoup from basically all of our plans because of not yeah. down by by the by the virus and um and we're sort of trying to do our best to cope with that and if it's and in the future it, it may not be all of us because we're still trying to figure out the best way to maintain like safety and health with like quarantine and isolation um practices and uh, we're still trying to figure out the best way to record remotely over the internet so there may be it may be a little while before the rest of the boys come back, but in the meantime, it may just be me and Jonathan. It may be some more like familiar voices, like Liz and Cannon, just like to know more permanent guest hosts. And also, because it because it is like a more, I guess, careful time right now. If we need to take a moment to sort of reduce our output schedule, even take a hiatus, we will let everyone know about that. Because, you know, as much as we enjoy doing this, this is a very um, positive hobby for us. Let's just kind of focus on, you know, enjoyable things in the world when things are kind of uncertain and scary. Um, like our own sort of well-being and health is important. But for the time being, we do plan to record regularly. Our, like I said, our schedule may be a little bit different. But for the time being, we, like you can expect a news an episode once a week. Yeah. And, and uh, stay tuned to Twitter for any updates for things right. in the future. Any any updates you will hear on our social media on on the air. So we're not going to be left in the dark. So any, and um, we're sort of just figuring it out as we go along. Yeah, it's sort of day by day at this point. So, um, but the good news is it, because we're sort of being forced to reshuffle our plans to find new things to do. It's also exciting because you have like all these other ideas that we get to pursue now that we are sort of had to that we're sort of put it on the back burner because of what we had already planned for the last few months so there'll be a lot of varied new content and uh also if in the event that we do sort of need to curtail recording we can we can sort of still produce content just maybe in a different avenue because we are looking to be more active on uh twitch that's one of our big goals for this year and this is sort of like it's not a good thing, but it, it helps you know, sort of keep us on our toes and sort of allows us to be creative and sort of adapt to new ways of, you know, producing and making content. And that's just sort of like some housekeeping we wanted to get out of the way at the top of the show. Because if you, if you notice from the last few episodes, we, it may seem a little uh, disparate in tone from what we're talking about to what's going on in the world. That's because just about every episode we've done recently has recorded weeks and almost months in advance. So. Yeah. So. And from now on, or at least for the time being, it's just going to be us. And th- the quota on the piss, cum, and shit jokes are going to be lower than usual. <laughs> so if, if you're coming for us for your cum, piss, and shit content, um, 
Sorry, that we're rationing those for the time being to, to make do. God, just imagine when fucking Colt and Wenzel get back. It's just going to be fucking melting. They'll just build it all outside. It's going to spew out at once. Although but, I, I am, I was, was afraid if the tables were turned, if they had to sort of keep the podcast going, just the two of them, I could just, I would just be afraid. Th- th- there would be no turning back. <laughs> just splooge all the time. All right, so now we get all these sort of the business out of the way. Now we get to the the, uh, the topic at hand, and uh, this week we're talking about Final Fantasy, and and this is sort of like a, a primer course for the series because the, the 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 next big iteration of the franchise, the remake of Final Fantasy VII, that'll be coming out the week of this release, and our in-house Final Fantasy uh, fan, he will be sort of taking us through the franchise. Jonathan, yes, uh. Yeah, basically just what Pat was saying. Um, uh, sort of the purpose of this is like, you know, when most people look at Final Fantasy, you know, they see like the big number in the double digits attached. It's like, fuck, 15? Do I have to, you know, start at the beginning? Uh, and all the numbering and everything's like confusing. It's esoteric. It's obtuse. Uh, so this is for like, if you're new to the fran- uh, new to the franchise or interested uh, I'm going, we're going to go through all the numbered entries except for 11 and 14 because those are MMOs. Um, and just sort of give you like a general gist of what the story's about, sort of how the gameplay runs. Uh, and, and, uh, and a lot of these games have various versions and remakes and remasters. So go over like which version you should pick up if you decide to pick up with that one. Um, so yeah, and uh, just to start off, I just want to ask Pat, like, what was your, what sort of been your uh, uh, history with the franchise, if any? It, it, as someone who's never really got to play like a mainline Final Fantasy, I have always been sort of very close ties to the franchise, albeit through sort of the this the side offerings of the series. Like I mm-hmm. played like crystal Chronicles. I played bravely default kingdom hearts. So I've always been sort of adjacent to the series and, but just never actually dipped my toe into one of the, uh, the more mainline offerings. And it's just sort of this, this how life kind of rolled. And, and plus, even though we're talking about the mainline series, final fantasy is, is a completely massive, uh, branching franchise. And it offers so many different play styles and sort of stories. And I feel like just the, the more fringe offerings, that's sort of what caught my eye. Yeah. And, and not to say that the, that the, the mainline uh, <coughs> series don't have their value, which of course they do. It's just, I, I guess, sort of the uh, the main line, like, like, like Jonathan maybe touched, is like it is sort of daunting to see these all these numbered uh, series, but what with, with the... I guess the side with the the side quest and the side series they're sort of into themselves and they're more easily acceptable uh, accessible excuse me to maybe someone who hasn't played as much but have, has at least has a working knowledge of, of the series yeah uh, I, I sort of had the similar experience like the big thing with me was Kingdom Hearts and and I got interested it was like oh these characters seem cool and then I know one of the biggest problems when you know, around when we were growing up, there like especially a lot of older games just weren't available, or if they were, they were on like some like archaic consoles, like you couldn't just access easily. So, like now is probably one of the 
best times to get in the franchise because it's most games are pretty easily accessible, minus a handful. Um, and to sort of get started off, um, do you have to start with the first game? No. And as we're going to go into, uh, I would not recommend starting with the first game just for various reasons. Uh, each game is its own thing. Uh, it's its own story, own setting, own characters. Uh, but uh, they, they do share sh- similar theming, similar uh, like similar like world design and stuff like that. Uh, and most of them end with killing God through the power of friendship. So that that's I always love that little tidbit. Uh, All righty. Uh, so sort of the criteria as I'm going through for like recommendation was I, number one, how accessible is it to the first time player? Uh, some, some of the games are more intuitive than others. Uh, now if you, if you're familiar with any sort of RPG, it, Final Fantasy won't be hard for you. You'll be able to uh, come to it pretty easily. But if this is like your first RPG, not to say that it's hard by any means, but it, it, it can be a lot at first, depending on which one you start off. Uh, and also just uh, to accessibility. Because uh, a lot of the, uh, some of these games are easier to get a hold of than others. Most of them are going to be like on Steam or something like that. But as we're going to get into some of those versions, I strongly don't recommend with, at least to start out with. And um, uh, three, uh, and is this like a good indication of what the series as a whole? Uh, a lot. There's some of the entries, especially some of the earlier entries, you can tell they were getting their footing, and it doesn't really reflect on what we now know as Final Fantasy. And finally, is just the game fucking fun. Um, not it, uh, I maintain that m- all the games are pretty good. Like, they're at least good. Maybe there's one we're going to get to that's not. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of this, I'll give you my personal rankings. Uh, that is if we have time, which I think we should. Uh, and to start out, I just want to, after all this preliminary, I do want to give a disclaimer, especially for people who are familiar with the franchise and know that this game, this series, I know for me and a lot of other people is very personal. So take my opinion with a grain of salt. This is just my opinion. Uh, Final Fantasy fans can get really passionate about uh, their particular entries that they're attached to. And I'm, I don't really have any just like out there opinions. Like most of my takes on the franchise are pretty like what everyone else thinks. They're pretty cold takes, but there, there might be like, there might be some, I might either poo poo or praise on that. You're like, what? No, but just keep in mind, this is just sort of my, so to start out with final fantasy one, the the one that started it all, and uh, Final Fantasy One. It was released uh, way back in 1987 on the original Nintendo gaming console, the NES, yeah. and or the Famicom if you're in Japan. So, and what I thought was interesting about 
the first Final Fantasy is that um, how it sort of like it was sort of made as like a last ditch effort by its director. How how he was sort of like dispirited and kind of like defeated by I guess the current state of games and sort of production, and this is sort of gonna be like his last hurrah. And it kind of not only succeeded, but sort of it succeeded to the point where it, this was Square, the, the the producer of the series, their first breakout or first big success, really. And then how it just sort of redefined the genre RPGs, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, and, and I mean, Final Fantasy definitely was not the first RPG not even the first Japanese RPG. Like, I think that probably goes to Dragon Quest. Uh, but what Final Fantasy did at the time was sort of just innovate on what was already established. And, like, there are little things in the game, like, especially the original NES version, where you look at it and it's like, okay, you know, that that's kind of quaint and archaic. But, like, at the time, it, like, blew people's minds. Like, actually seeing your characters on screen and they have little animations of attacking. Like, that Dragon Quest didn't have that. Ultima didn't have that. Um, But, yeah, sort of what Pat was saying. uh, Square, they got their start in the 80s, and they were... Most of the games they produced were just kind of disposable. Uh, Like, like a lot of the games that were out at the time, they were just sort of... uh, uh, Whether it was, like, mostly, like, platformers and racing games. And by the time uh, it was coming up for them to do Final Fantasy, they were about to go into bankruptcy. So uh, usually when companies do that, or anyone do that, they fall into some sort of defeatism. But instead, they just like pour their fucking heart and soul into this. And it was led by uh, series creator Hironobu Sakaguchi. Uh, and he he had a, this fascination with tabletop RPGs. Uh, and wanted to bring that to video games as well as just storytelling in general, which was something that outside of very few, and even then it was very minimalistic, you didn't really see because, I mean, just the hardware at the time wouldn't allow it. Um, well, it was funny you, you do mention about tabletop um, RPGs because it is sort of funny how much uh, the first Final Fantasy borrows from Dungeons and Dragons. Be- yeah, that simplifies it for, like, the average person. Um, yeah, cause, uh, and, and as we're going to get into, the, the, unlike later games in the series, uh, like, the protagonists are silent, uh, and, and they're sort of similar to, like, how, like, you know, other characters, like, Link was supposed to be in uh, during the inception of The Legend of Zelda. He was supposed to be the link between you and the character. Even though that that may seem very sort of, I guess, bland for like a newer player going back, it just at, at, at the time it's sort of like because the characters were so minimalistic, it allowed for more immersion for the player because they they can embody anything they want onto these blank canvases, mm-hmm. and which I think is is very interesting. Which is sort of like what tabletop gaming is about. So like you have this sort of like archetype that you sort of superimpose your thoughts if you and characteristics onto and then sort of you, you play through this story yeah uh, 
and uh, one of the big legends about this game is they chose Final Fantasy as a title because this was going to be the last game they thought they were going to work on. But as I was doing research, it actually, they wanted to have the name Fighting Fantasy, but that name was already taken. So they were just, for some reason, they just wanted the, the alliterative FF. So they were just like, fuck it, Final Fantasy. <laughs> Uh, and to s- just get into what this game is about, like I said, it is a l- lighter on story because this was their really their first attempt at something like this. So it, even with the later NES games, they're not; it's not as extravagant. But uh, it's set in this game follows the four warriors of light as they go on the quest to restore the four elemental crystal to restore balance of the world. Uh, and crystals are going to be very, very common. Because like you said at the top, that um, there's, even though this is a, a franchise with very sort of uh, self-contained stories, there are a lot of elements and characters and sort of trappings that factor into each and every game in some fashion. Like there's always going to be crystals, mm-hmm. like the same sort of like equipment Names, spell names, character names. Like there's, like there's always a character named Sid in a Final Fantasy, and it takes except a different for this one. Except for this one, <laughs> yeah. But of course, with the first one, it, it sort of lays it lays the groundwork for all the rest. So even if sort of things that come later that become franchise stays, that is that is something interesting to think about. That and in a different respect, that a lot of the things that we hold to the series didn't show up till later because that's how long running the series is. It, it, yeah. The, uh, Exactly. Um, uh, I'm just looking through my notes right here. Well, another thing, you, you talked about that there's um, the, the story revolves around the four warriors of light, which is interesting that you actually have six classes, six characters to choose from to make your party of four. Yeah. You, um, uh, the classes are uh, fighter, monk, thief, White Mage, Red Mage, Black Mage. And you can choose any combination of those, and depending on how the combination, what combinations you make, uh, allow for easier time, a harder time. And especially for the time, that really inspired a lot of replayability. It's like, well, what if I go in this time as a, a party of, say, like all fighters, and you just literally wreck house? Because they have the best weapons, the best gear, and are literal tanks. Or, you know, various, any sort of combination you could think of. Definitely would recommend always having a white mage, because you always need a healer. Because with the white mage, they they focus primarily on sort of healing, restorative abilities. Mm -hmm. Black mage is more so... um, Spell casting. Spell casting and more like offensive magic. And red mage, he's sort of like... the man in the middle, he can use offensive and sort of recuperative abilities as well, but never quite to the same extent of either. Yeah, he, he is a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, our, our friend Cody, you know, friend of the show, he uh, when he played this game, uh, he went, uh, he didn't have a white mage, he had a red mage, and he got to the final boss and was fucked <laughs> because he didn't have any of the high level uh, healing spells. Because, like, once you up and, and then uh, at a certain point in the game, you can upgrade your classes to to be like stronger and it can equip higher level spells. Um, this game is also just very basic turn based RPG. Uh, 
you go through menus, you select your action, character performs that action, it goes to the next character's turn uh, or your enemy. Uh, and, and in that sense, you could literally just stay on the menu, pause, go get a sandwich, come back, and nothing has changed, uh, which that will definitely change later on as the series goes along. Um, uh, this game also has like, <laughs> also sort of, is a precursor and sort of foreshadowing on how like convoluted a lot of these games can get, <laughs> you know, why I call like Japanese anime bullshit, but uh, there's like a lot of like time travel involved too. And uh, if you really think about it, it doesn't make sense, but like at this, but you know, yeah, I think of the time in 1987, this was big, um, which, which is what I thought was really interesting about the first at 4A because why we also mentioned Dragon Quest is one of one of if not the most popular RPG in Japan, and it's always had sort of this on again off again friendly rivalry with Final Fantasy, and and this sort of came out around the same time as Dragon Quest two, and it really sort of exceeded in sort of in terms of content more than what Dragon Quest two had, which always sort of mm-hmm. been like this is this was it this was the pinnacle this was the big one and really their first foray they really jumped in in the ground with both feet and just really like just pumped out with how just all different places you can go with sort of like different methods of traveling and equipment and just like it's just a as simple as it is it is a deceptively you know i guess light game it is there's a lot of density to it and, and, and sort of like to put things in perspective like dragon quest is definitely more popular in japan and then, you know, Final Fantasy is more popular in the West in general, especially, like, the states in Europe, uh, which has led in the later entries for Square to kind of pivot tor- towards, like, uh, what's the term? Uh, trying to appeal to that market more than, say, the Japanese audience. Um, this uh, Now, uh, Americans wouldn't see this game, un- or just North America in general, wouldn't see this game until 1990, which was... You know, most of the time when you, you know, you have like most games now are simultaneous worldwide release. But, you know, even back in the day when like something was like released in Japan, you know, it would come to everywhere else pretty quickly after, you know, like that three years was a long time. And and for uh, like and for like gaming in general, which was sort of like a niche thing and then RPGs being a niche of a niche. Like, Final Fantasy, you know, blew, was very popular over here. Um, and then over the years, it has had uh, quite a few remakes. The, uh, the biggest one being uh, Origins on the PlayStation, which had, uh, which came, was which were a remake of 1 and 2. And it, they, they really enhanced the sprites, uh, got rid of some, like, very bullshit mechanics <laughs> that the NES version had mainly the big thing in the original game is like if you have everyone targeting one enemy and say your first character kills that enemy but everyone else targeted that enemy all their uh, attacks don't immediately go to other enemies on the field they're just they just miss oh that's that's bullshit oh yeah it's bullshit there are some people who have hot takes and it's like oh it's just an extra level of strategy fuck off no it's not (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, uh, the PlayStation version added redirecting your attacks to different enemies when that enemy dies, which is a very good thing. And just other like quality of life things. Like the big thing was uh, in the menus. You couldn't see like how different spells and equipment was better than the other. 
So you kind of just had to go in blind buying everything and it was like, well, shit, this doesn't, you know, this is actually isn't better than what I had. Um, the uh, PlayStation and every version after that uh, allowed you to see like how this a piece of equipment stacks against this piece of equipment. So basically, for every for every time thereafter, you would see the, essentially the stats of the item and your stats. Yeah. Uh, this game, it had like a GBA release, and uh, which was basically the same thing, but just on the GBA. And then there was, uh, in the mid-2000s, they started releasing a lot of the early games on the PSP, which, uh, going right out and saying it's the definitive version, they even cleaned up the sprites even more. They're, they're HD, they look really good. So if you are going to get this game, if you want to, for some reason, start with the first game... Uh, I def- definitely recommend the PSP version. Uh, and and that, that's sort of, as you can tell, uh, I don't recommend this game for first-time fans, mostly because as much as it innovated on RPGs uh, at the time, today it's very basic. There, There's just not a lot that it offers that you can't find better elsewhere. And, and to me, like, like, like I said earlier, it's not the best representation of what the series will be later on. Uh, which leads into uh, Final Fantasy II, which... Um, which was released uh, a year later in 1988. And, and, and that's a really... Like, even for an NES game, but for a game of this size was a very fast turnaround. And I think which led to the problems that this game ultimately had. Uh and, and and this game is uh started the philosophy that uh the Final Fantasy teams would adhere to and I would argue probably to in some ways the detriment of the series but they uh it was they're very much big on not repeating uh what they did in the past so so they wanted to redo like the story the the uh gameplay everything and this was sort of like a trend of a lot of early NES games like, uh, like for example, like The Legend of Zelda Two is very different from the original Legend of Zelda. You know, it's more like side scrolly. Uh, it's also fucking hard. And then, uh, at least the U.S. version of Super Mario Brothers Two was very different. And but that's a whole other thing. Well, one thing I think it's a very interesting, like I guess, fat or trivia about this series is that when it came to the states, Final, Fan- Final- it was released in America as Final Fantasy Four. This game did not get, <laughs> this game did not get released into uh, uh, the states at first. Uh, mostly, it mostly had to do with it did like it was popular in Japan, but it definitely did wasn't as successful as uh, as the first one. And we also didn't get Final Fantasy the first Final Fantasy until like until 1990, which was the very end of. The very end of the NES life cycle. Okay, because that, that's right. I, I, I had that backwards. Final Fantasy IV releases Final Fantasy II. Yeah. Excuse uh, me. Because, and then they were developing, at, the, at that point, they were developing Final Fantasy IV, which was for the Super Nintendo. And they're like, ah, fuck it. We'll just slap a two on it and give it to the Americans. Because they, they wanted to, you know, of course, push out that new console with the, with a big with a big release game on it. Mm-hmm. So, But it wouldn't make sense to sort of drop uh, another game of the series so far down the line, people's like, people were going to where's two and three. It was just like, well, we'll just, we'll just make everything confusing for everybody later. Yeah, and, and as we get, 
as we get later in the series, uh, at a certain point, they just start using the Japanese numbering scheme and just no, like not even trying to hide it in the, uh, the West. So people were like, wait, where was four, five and six? But, uh, yeah, uh, this game is very different to put it nicely. Uh, this story follows four orphans, uh, Firion, Maria, Guy, and Leon, whose hometown of Finn is sacked by invading Empire. Uh, they are found after near-fatal wounds, minus their friend Leon, and they decide to fight with the rebel army to defeat the oppressive Empire and find their friend who's missing. A lot of evil empires in this series I'm taking. Yeah, it's... Vi- uh, as we'll go on, there's definitely a heavy inspiration from Star Wars. I mean, we're, we already have like like some mixed-up number, and people just wondering, like, where is this in the Star Wars? Why are we starting with a big number instead of a small number? Yeah. Uh, like I said, this game is interesting. Um, unlike, you know, the first game and most turn-based RPGs, you know, most of the time level progression is sort of fixed. You know, if you have a, a character who's a fighter... You know, at level at level ten, it's going to be their stats are going to be always that the same incremental increases usually. <coughs> However, uh, what they wanted to do is sort of provide the player with more customization, so you can literally customize your character any way you want because you uh, you basically have to level up each individual stat. Because, like, in this one, instead of, like, learning spells, like, over the course of your progression, you, like, you, you buy the skills, essentially, and, and, like, equip them as you want. Yeah, and, and I mean, that, that wasn't new. The first game did that. But in, instead of, like, the first game when you bought, like, say, Fyra, you can cast Fyra. But what basically what, like, you would buy, like, at the beginning of the game, you say you buy Fire. And the more you use fire, it will uh, the stronger that spell will get. And I think the max is level sixteen. Uh, which, like on, on paper, all this sounds like you know pretty cool. You can customize your characters how they want. Uh, the problem is, is when I say you have to max out, ev- you have to level up every stat. I mean every fucking stat, which makes this game grindy as fuck. <laughs> So, like, uh, you have to grind your HP, your defense, your attack. Uh, What weapons you're proficient at? Like, so, if you want to get better at using swords, you have to use swords. And so on and so forth. You won't have to get better at magic, you use magic. If you want to increase your HP, what you do, pro tip, you just beat up your own party members. But don't kill them. Get them as, as low HP as possible and then win the fight, and then their HP will increase. So if you do that early on, you can have, like, your HP in the thousands, and nothing can kill you, ever. Uh, Like I said, this game is very ambitious, and the story, uh, especially for the NES, is very ambitious. It's very dark, which, I mean, a lot of these games are, but, like, you know, when we think of NES games, you know, you think of Super Mario, do-do-do-do, you know, it's very you know, bright and joyous, save the princess. And this, this game, uh, has many a character death, uh, because, uh, the fourth slot in your party is for a lot of like side characters that come in and out. Cause that's what I was going to say. That's something I introduced with this series that would turn up later. It's like the guest star 
party member. Like you would have characters sort of come in and out of your rotation that you sort of sort of drag and drop into whatever formation you see fit. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, and it's really cool. Uh, the the only problem with it is like they, they were just limited by the hardware, so it's not as fleshed out as it would be later on. And as you can tell, I definitely don't recommend this game to start out with. Uh, if you don't, if you want to play this game for some fucking reason, uh, like with the first game, uh, the PSP version, for same reasons, just enhanced graphics. Uh, more quality of life uh, updates, things like that. But yeah, th- th- this one is like a very, very hard, uh, like, no, do not. I wouldn't even play this game unless you were just absolutely hell-bent on playing uh, every game in the series. Because uh, I feel like you definitely need to have a certain level of patience or like, I guess, enthusiasm for more, for lack of a better term, like tedious sort of, I guess, maintenance for the game? Because, like, you have to individually sort of train every single, like, aspect of your character. And, that, and of course, that is not everybody's cup of tea. That's why sort of games that are more grind-heavy, like Dragon Quest, have sort of a a very dedicated following that may not have as as wide of an appeal. Yeah, and this game is, like, even more grindy than even other games in the series. Uh, and, And, like, I'm usually, like tolerant of grind because at least the way I see it, it's like you mostly play the game to play the game and that's sort of how you play the game uh but this is just tedious because like I said even if you do that HP trick your attacks are still going to be pretty low level so like enemies aren't going to be able to kill you but it's going to take forever to like kill a boss for instance like I remember I got to the Adam Adam and Toys fight oh god and and oh my god, it just took fucking forever because uh, I hadn't really been leveling up my spells much because, like I said, this game's fucking grindy as shit. And I want to kind of get a move on. And yeah, I mean, I beat him, but goddamn, it took like 15, just, 30 minutes. Just so for like anybody who's trying to imagine what this boss fight is like, the Adamantoids is like this big turtle like enemy with a big shell. It has that really high defense. Uh, on top of all its stats, so he, so just imagine just spending you know, like an hour or more, just like slowly whittling away mm-hmm. this boss while also taking just you know all the damage he's thrown at you. Yeah, and most of the time, the Adamantoids in the game in in the series are not that bad. Um, like this one, and then the one in fifteen, which I think it, people said like takes like <laughs> something like five hours to fight or something like that. I don't know. I never did that. Uh, to put things in perspective. This is the only game I put down just out of frustration, and I just said no. <laughs> so if that that's sort of the indication to go by, uh, yeah, I just do not recommend this. Which now we're going to go to Final Fantasy three, and this is the one we're definitely going to spend the least amount of time on because I haven't played this one. This is the only one out of the main series I haven't played, uh, mostly because this one is probably the hardest to find because like, it didn't get a Unlike Final Fantasies 1 and 2, which got, like, a release on the original PlayStation, this one didn't get a release until the DS in, like, 2006. And, and just to put it, like, further into perspective, like, I think as of last year, we still don't have, like, like a straight copy of the original 2D version. We have, like, all these mm-hmm. sort of, like, ancillary remakes, but, like, we still don't have, like, that OG copy. No, there, uh, for Final Fantasies 2 and 3, there aren't. 
two, three, and five. Uh, well, I take that back. There is one of five, but two, three, and uh, two and three. There's not any original release of it over here. Legitimately, you can get some like fan fan ROMs of of like a fan translated version of the NES version, but like especially with Final Fantasy two. Uh, imagine like all the issues I said, you know, I was complaining about now multiply that by, by a hundred and you have the NES version. And, and, and sort of like Final Fantasy two, um, whenever the, the Final Fantasy three that was released in the States was actually just a, a renamed Final Fantasy six. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to that one once we get to six, but, uh, so most like like I said, I haven't played this game, so I'm not super familiar with it. A lot of the information I have about this ver- this game is very much uh, from what I've heard. Uh, th- uh, Final Fantasy II definitely wasn't a flop when it came out in Japan in '88, but it definitely wasn't as big a hit as they were expecting. Like they would they were with the first game, mostly because the, the second game had a very quick turnaround. They didn't have a lot of time to really hone things the way they wanted. Uh, so Final Fantasy 3 is sort of more back to form. Uh, it follows four Warriors of Light again, trying to restore crystals. Uh, this game definitely had introduced... Uh, and one thing I forgot to mention with Final Fantasy 2 was the first appearance of Sid, who the Sid character is always a... Uh, Usually some sort of engineer, a pilot, some sort of mechanical type character. Uh, this game, uh, Final Fantasy III, introduced uh, summons, which are like giant mythical beasts like you can summon to do like these big fuck-all attacks. Also introduced Moogles, which are cute and adorable little white teddy bear koala creatures that are just cute as fuck. They're essentially the series mascot. Because I think it's... Um the Japanese name for Moogle is Moguru, Moguru, which is basically a combination of uh, mole and bat. I mean, and that's basically what they are. <laughs> just imagine like a very, a very cute, like white animal creature with big red nose, an antenna with a big red ball and tiny little bat wings. And they're always sort of like a very helpful creature. Like they do sort of like they take care of your items. They save your games. Just sort of like always applying some sort of like assistance and service to the player yeah and oftentimes a playable character yeah as we will get to later on uh final fantasy 2 was all i also forgot to mention was the introduction the introduction of the other series mascot the chocobo the fucking giant rideable chicken and i love them taking uh a big inspiration from the the bird-like mounts from nausicaa valley of the wind the studio Ghibli movie mm-hmm. and like there's just like a lot of like weird eccentric stuff like that that I just love about Final Fantasy. While especially a lot of these early games are definitely very medieval fantasy, they just have airships for some reason. Like <laughs> just they, these they, flying fucking ships. It, it's sort of funny. It's like this like slow gradation between just like strictly medieval fantasy to more like steampunk and, and mm-hmm. sort of like of that sort of genre. And and, and it's sort of interesting just to see that progression as it goes on because it kind of takes bigger shifts in terms of like overall world but it goes to like 
diesel punk and like cyberpunk as mm-hmm. as as almost like so you're just you're just watching the history of the world how it goes from like stone age to medieval times it's like then progressing to modern age because that's sort of how <laughs> the series progresses i don't know if that was like a, a um exactly a conscious decision or just how the, the changing chase developed but it, it is very easy to, to watch this and it's what and a linear fashion in one respect yeah a lot of that has to do with I classify most games by two um, types of Final Fantasy. There's the classic versions, which are the ones we're talking about right now, which are the more medieval fantasy. They're the ones who mostly deal with the crystals. Uh, And then the modern Final Fantasy, which, uh, for better or for worse, (laughs) is very fucking out there. Uh, A lot of variety. It's a lot of variety. And I kid, like, a lot of my favorite games are the more modern games. And it has has a lot to do with just, like, sort of uh, changing development teams as it goes along. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, like, like I said, Final Fantasy III, uh, it was very similar to one. The story was very light. Uh, you play, like, if you play the DS version or the Steam version, uh, a lot of the story that's in that game was just sort of added to give it a little more oomph. This game also introduced the job system, which was something that will come up every now and then where uh, you can uh, attach certain jobs to different characters. And I think this game had like, God, I don't know how many jobs, but like instead of just the six, like from the original game, uh, it introduced a fuck ton of other ones like, like Dragoon and Summoner and all these other all these other jobs that you can attach to your characters and level up. Uh, It's definitely very primitive. It's not as good as, say, like, five once we get to it. But you definitely see the seeds that were being planted early on. Because, like you said, there were several classes, ranging from, like, magician users to to more martial combat users to to more strange and outdoor classes. Like, you have, like, characters that, like... fight with bells and like fists and musical items. So you have like, you have an entire array of like different abilities to choose from. And what makes it so interesting is that you can change what your character's job is essentially at any time you want. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can, you can literally have a team of all, all the characters are the exact same job. You can have like all bards or something. I wouldn't recommend that, but if you know, if you want to play uh, on a, on a, certain level of self-imposed challenge you can sort of arrange your formation anyway and yeah I, I know one of the challenges with the fifth game which has probably the best job system of the series uh there, there's a challenge called four job fiesta where you pick four jobs for the four characters and you have to sort of stick with them for the entire game it's sort of like a, if you're familiar like the Nuzlocke challenge in Pokemon, where you you, you, you use the first Pokemon you, you, that you come across and you, and you cannot uh, catch anymore. And if that if that Pokemon faints, you just sort of you know you kind of SOL. You kind of have to make do with what you have. It's it's, it's a very sort of self-imposed challenge, and it mm-hmm. sort of allows for like some I guess some very interesting things with the game. For me, I actually am. Fairly familiar with this one, even though I never played it. Because mm-hmm. back in 2006, they had a 3D release for the for the DS. And even though I, I never played it, I bought the strategy guide. And I just poured over that. Because they had, like, in-depth details about all the classes and, like, 
art for each class, and and that that's just a quirk. Me sidebar said so I would I, I, all the time would just buy strategy guides for games. Never actually buy the games, just so I could look at the art and just enjoy that. Yeah. But um, I feel like I, there, I do have a special connection with this one, just for all that time of just like uh, consuming the art for that remake. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, in the states, anyway, we have uh, what are called the Ultimania archives, which are basically these giant fuck all art books for these games. Uh, definitely recommend. Uh, I have the first two volumes, which cover uh, one through nine, and God, the fucking art is gorgeous. Uh, especially like I, I used to not be a fan of Yoshitaka Omano, who's the uh, most of the character, he'd done a lot of the early character designs and his stuff is very wispy and like very watercolor, very like, yeah, very like androgynous, wafy sort of characters. And I feel like it really embodies sort of like the sort of like mythical tone of the series, how like everything just seems so like ethereal mm-hmm. and just sort of transcendent and just like, I don't know, it's it, it just like billowing clothes, like billowing hair and just like, it's a very grand style and there, there is a different shift as the series goes on, but uh, Amano's art style is, is very much cemented with the early days of Final Fantasy. Yeah, definitely. And then once it goes to Nomura, Nomura is definitely more anime and manga inspired. So, uh, fun fact, uh, I, uh, after we watched uh, Vampire Hunter D, Amano did a lot of the character designs for that. Yeah, because uh, Vampire Hunter D is, is a long-running light novel series, and a lot of, it, a lot of their artwork is gracious to cover. And Vampire Hunter D, it's, it's, it's a movie definitely worth the watch because it's a, a, a gorgeously detailed, probably some of the best animation and backgrounds I've seen in an anime movie. This The one we watched was Bloodlust that came out in 2000. It's worth your time. Check that out. Definitely recommend. Uh, so uh, if you're going to get this version uh, or get this game, I recommend probably the Steam version, mostly because that's the easiest one. Uh, but uh, I don't really recommend this one either, mostly because I, I can't because I haven't played it. But from what I've been told, it, it is similar to the first game where it's definitely more, um, what's the term? It, it's definitely more basic. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really offer anything you can't find better in even other games of the series. And now we move into 4, which to me, this is where the series first got its uh and really became final fantasy uh this game um after they completed three uh with the new hardware they really wanted to go all out and create this grand story and they written this like fucking huge script that i think by the end of it they had acts like 75 percent of it (laughs) just so they could fit it like even though like the snes was definitely double the capacity of the NES, I mean, it's still very limited. It'd be pushing the already balance of this console. Yeah, definitely. And especially with a a console that's just getting started. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, and like Pat was saying earlier, when this game was uh, uh, released in the States, since we didn't get Final Fantasies uh, 2 and 3, they just labeled 4 in the States as 2, starting the... The long, fucking confusing numbering convention. Uh, four follows. Uh, or hold on, wait. Before I get to that, uh, I do want to bring up uh, a person behind the scenes, a uh, name uh, Hiroyuki Ito, who created the battle system for this game, uh, which uh, is called the Active Time Battle System, 
and that is probably what it, th- this series is most known for. Unlike most uh, turn-based RPGs, like I was saying with the first one, uh, you once you get to the menu, you can just sort of like put the game down, make a sandwich, get a drink, come back. Nothing has changed. Oh, what the ATB system does is every character has what's called an ATB bar, and that is linked to their speed stat, and it fills up. It uh, repeatedly fills up. Once it fills up, you can select an attack or like an action to do. You choose that action. It goes to the next person, so on and so forth. Even enemies have ATB bars, even though you can't see them. And this is, uh, he got the idea from, I want to say it was Formula One racing. And and sort of the idea was sort of try to emulate real time a battle instead of, you know, turn base where it's kind of slow. Even though there is definitely a market for that. Um, so even if you say on the menu for, you know, and where to put it down, your enemy is going to keep using attacks to attack because uh, they don't stop unless you put the thing on wait mode. But that's, you know, that's beside the point. Uh, do, do, do. All right. This game follows uh, Cecil Harvey, a black knight from the kingdom of Baron. Who, after being ordered to by his king to butcher a town for their crystal, is tasked with his best friend Kane to go to the summoner village of Vis, Miss to deliver a package, and then from there, it the story takes various twists and turns as Cecil seeks redemption and ultimately has to save the world. And as you can tell by that summary, it is definitely more in depth. <laughs> Because I will say, because um, four is definitely probably the one of the most well remembered and most beloved plots of the entire franchise. Because mm-hmm. it has like this, you have you start off with Cecil and his sort of like overcoming his sins and just like working through like his redemptive story, and how there are there are like there's so many characters in this game, and they all have a a fairly involved like you know personality and character and how they come in and out throughout the game. You know, it's really like triumphs and tragedies, and I think there's a lot that people really enjoy because because it's, it's a very dense plot. So much so that some people even would even go so far as to say, just find a way to consume the story and not worry about having to muddle through a, a game because like the people have have that much fondness and appreciation for the story. Probably one of the most in depth of the series so far, definitely. Yeah, and it's definitely like especially in Japan, it's definitely like their Final Fantasy. Uh. And like I was saying earlier, it's the game that really uh, cemented what Final Fantasy was. Uh, and as Pat was saying, I uh, this game is has a really compelling story. Uh, every character is sort of in their fixed job, unlike uh, the last game where you can sort of pick jobs at random. Uh, like like I said, uh, Cecil is a Dark Knight, Kane's a Dragoon. Riddy is a summoner, so on and so forth. Um, so it is definitely probably the most like on rails in that aspect of the game. Uh, but it's de- I definitely reckon I think that's definitely good for a first time player. And, and this is definitely probably the game out of the classic Final Fantasies that I recommend for first time players. Probably the one I recommend the most. Um, I, de- I definitely feel like this uh, at this point in the series you have enough of. Uh, the mechanics that that people would know the Final Fantasy series by it has a very in depth story. So you have and it has and plus it, the series has progressed enough 
except that some of the more like I guess less than favorable mechanics have sort of been phased out. So you have mm-hmm. like a very I guess to borrow word crystallized version of the series so yeah. far. And I feel like it's if it's a very strong contender for someone to just to come in and play because you have all these things that people are familiar with, and sort of like, there's, there's enough there that a modern gamer wouldn't feel like it's too much of a step back to go and play. Yeah, definitely. And this game has had the most remake and remasters and ports out of any of the games in the series. So, like, and as they've ported and remastered and remade this game, they've just made the game better. I remember my first encounter with the game was the Game Boy Advance remake. Mm -hmm. And that, I remember that game, on top of a very lengthy game in itself, they added a bunch of extra content to this game. I think there's even, like essentially like a sequel story that takes place after the series and there might this might even have one where you even play as the characters that have died over the course of the story then let their own story yeah uh i don't think the game boy one has after years which we do not talk about because after years doesn't exist because it's (laughs) poo-poo garbage your mileage may vary uh it's objectively terrible I think that one started with the PSP version. But, yeah, even with the Game Boy, even the PlayStation version, they... No, I think the PlayStation version was just a port. But, like, with the Game Boy version, they definitely cleaned up the translation. Uh, and that's something, uh, starting with these games, the more story-intensive games, is something we're going. I'm going to bring up a lot, is translation. Because the original translation for this game is pretty bad. Like, a lot of translations were in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, there, there's definitely some, like, idiosyncrasies that have kept from the, the ori- original English version. Like, the there's the iconic line, you spoony bard. That's in every version since. But, yeah, that I, I like, I have respect for Ted Woolsey, who's the translator. But, yeah, his, his versions are not necessarily the best. Mostly because he just didn't have the resources at his disposal as we'll get to later on. This game also just uh, has one of the more compelling villains of the series in Golbez. He's sort of uh, the Darth Vader of the series in that he's just this very big, menacing character. Uh, <laughs> it's like giant, giant statuish figure, big, posing, like, spiky, black, like, armor. Like, he definitely has, like, you know, a very obviously evil, obviously powerful badass villain yeah he is definitely like you look at him and immediately like oh he's the villain uh and like i said i definitely recommend this game uh the vert and there like i said there have been very many remakes uh the two versions i recommend are ds version that came out in 2008 or the steam version which is the ds version or the psp version uh the psp version is very is more similar to the SNES version. Uh it but with just an updated script and higher resolution graphics and sprites. I know a lot of people this is the one they ride or die for. I'm more partial to the DS version which has uh 3D polygonal models, uh, a little bit of voice acting which admittedly is a little dodgy. It's not the best which that's sort of the standard with Square. But like even then like uh like I said, I still recommend this version. Uh, and this version added story that was in the original script, but they weren't able to put in uh, mostly stuff around Cecil and Golbez uh, at the end of the game. So I definitely recommend that, but I definitely recommend the Steam version because the original DS version is fucking hard. Like, it will break your face. Like, 
uh, when I played the original DS version, I had to, <laughs> once I got to the final dungeon, I had to, uh, to the final boss, I had to grind to level 99 just to beat the final boss and barely managed to beat him. Because like with like most games, you know, you, you can you can grind to like a very high level, but rarely is it ever needed to get like in the 90s to fight a, like a, a, the mainline boss. But then, like as you'll see, there's definitely different spikes in difficulty across the series. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas you may have a game that's fairly easy to go through, but the final the final stretch is extremely difficult, or inverse, right? Yeah. The game is throughout throughout is very challenging, but they kind of give you a break at the end. Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, and the the thing with the the uh, the Steam version is they have a difficulty option. So, like, the difficult on that version is what the DS version was. That was their default version. That was their default version. And, like like I said, I, I, I'm very proud I beat that game, but, God, it, it, it's hard. And so now we move to 92, which was the release of 5. Not super familiar with a lot of, like, the, the Japan side of the making of this version, of this game, uh, most of what I know is more stateside because we didn't get this game until the they released all the big fuck all collections on the original PlayStation in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, and one of the main reasons why, um, uh, I, I've heard very conflicting reasons. I think probably the most likely was while Final Fantasy 2 did, or I say Final Fantasy 2, but Final Fantasy 4 did well over here, especially for a game that is a niche of a niche. Uh, it didn't do the numbers they were wanting. So they were like, well, fuck, we're not going to bring over 5. Also, uh, 5 is definitely one of the harder games in the series. Uh, so, and uh, Square thought Americans were too stupid to play this game. But this game follows uh, Bar- uh, Bart's, uh, Lena, Galoof, and Ferris. Uh, Bartz is sort of just this aloof drifter. Uh, Ferris is a uh, is a princess of a wealthy nation. Galoof is an old man with amnesia. And uh, Ferris is a uh, cross-dressing pirate. And as they go on to restore crystals to save the world. If I could describe this game in one word, it's fun. Uh, it's one of the more lighthearted games in the series, and that was by design. They wanted to make a more comedic game, and there's definitely dark moments. Uh, it's just coming, I guess, coming from like the more high drama of four. They wanted to, you know, have have a bit of like a breather in terms of tonality. Yeah, and especially as we get to the later game, the games after this, uh, like five, in my opinion, would probably be a good one for you. Okay, because it, it definitely like when I when I when I play it, I was like, oh, this is pat. Just of how like goofy in tone it is, and and just and just looking out at it a little bit, there just seemed like it's a very vibrant color palette. Yeah, and and, and um and as well, just like in terms of like the, the, the changing mechanics, like the um whereas in Ford, the characters and the jobs are kind of like one to one. They're definitely fixed. And uh, with 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 this in five, they're um that that job system returns probably the most robust system to date like 22 different jobs and you can sort of change them at, at your leisure and probably it's the most like customizable final fantasy experience until like probably tactics comes along probably so um or any other um uh, game with a job system or like once we get to like 10 with the sphere grid or 12 with the uh, license board but um yeah as uh 
as well as gaining experience, you gain ability points where you can use the ability points to level up job. And at certain job levels, you can uh, basically learn certain techniques uh, that are linked to that particular job. Like, for instance, if you level up uh, the Dragoon class with, say, Bart's, uh, you'll get the jump ability which is very uh, a very common ability in Final Fantasy, where the character jumps up. Uh, you def- you lose that turn, but uh, the next turn they jump on the opponent to attack it, and it's like double the damage. It's like it, it reminds me of uh, the, the move Fly from Pokemon. So ha- yeah, or like jump in Pokemon. Yeah, it's so it, it's and I'm definitely really interested to sort of see how they're able to have like this very like robust combat system. You feel like it's very engaging. You also have like a very lighthearted story because I feel like it's a nice clash there. And I'm, I, and just going ahead, like what would be like the, your recommended versions for five? Uh, five. My recommended version is the Game Boy Advance version. To okay. me, that's the definitive version. Uh, the PlayStation version. Outside of one and two, I don't recommend uh, because of like load times. Uh, the scripts are pretty awful, especially for five. Uh, the uh, I don't know if it was for five on the PlayStation One or if it was a fan translation, but <laughs> they originally uh translated Bart's name to Butts, but B U T Z. Uh, and every every time I play it, I rename Bart's to Butts. Yeah, that that's always a, a kick for me. Is just seeing how like the, like the translation goofs because like. That's just too good, and like the spoony bard, and just like and and how I like just like very obvious things that what what should be like how in like in four there's a character named Lydia, but she's uh, translated originally as Rydia because the whole distinction between L and R. But I kind of feel like, <laughs> of course, I don't know. I don't want, I'm not a translator, so I don't know what's like working at the time crunch. But I've definitely seen translations and like American adaptations of Japanese properties to feel like it's it's it's. It's a, it's a broken enough English word you could figure out what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's like come on, like come on. This this should be a bit more obvious, but yeah, and like the uh, all the trend, like even the worst translations, they're readable. But uh, yeah, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with just Japanese is just so hard to translate to English and vice versa. And plus, there's just a lot of concepts exclusive to each language that don't translate well. And plus, you're, you're not sort of. And definitely with each game, you're definitely not given the same sort of crew, the same sort of resources. And so, like, what may be a stronger adaptation of a, of a property is sort of dependent on the time, the resource, and all these, like, behind-the-scenes things that, that are definitely different for each one. It definitely. At least until they get more, like, more of a foothold in each other's you sort of homeland. Yeah, and, and like I said, like this is still the early '90s. Games are at least in North in in the West, they're definitely a niche. It's not until like the late '90s with like the PlayStation N64 where it becomes more mainstream. And 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 you have that, and then RPGs are a niche of video games, so it's definitely a harder sell. In that, and that's, by that, there's less resources allocated to that production and distribution of that game yeah a hundred percent uh uh if i have a complaint about this game it's definitely the villain x death just like his name implies he's just fucking generic <laughs> uh he, he like even his design sort of looks like a poor man's gold uh and, and just 
I, I do sort of like like his origins because it is a little goofy, which is in tone of the series. But it, it definitely does like this game definitely doesn't have like the oomph that like say four or six or seven or later games have uh, as far as like dramatic potential. There, there, and there are definitely very dramatic scenes. There's one scene that happens towards the end of the game that's very emotional, uh, and it's done really well. But, uh, but it is definitely more on the comedic side. Uh, this is also the first uh, introduction of Gilgamesh, which is a reoccurring character. And unlike, say, Moogles or Chocobos or Sids, who are uh, different iterations each time, it's Every time you see Gilgamesh, it's very much implied it's the same Gilgamesh from 5. He's just jumping dimensions. (laughs) And he's definitely a a goofy character, but has the most badass theme. Uh, If you have Spotify, go to Final Fantasy 5 soundtrack and look up Battle on the Big Bridge. It's one of the best uh, tracks in any of the Final Fantasies, period. And that, and, and I keep forgetting to mention uh, things. And, like, starting with 4, and then from here on out, uh, the series composer, uh, Nobo Uematsu, his music is just, I will argue, the best in video games. Uh, he, he, dev- he composed 1, 2, and 3, but sort of like how those games were trying to find hit their footing, those games are the same way. There's definitely standout tracks, but um, I definitely don't go back to those as much as, say, 4 wait, or 6 or even 5 because 5 has a really good soundtrack or 7, 8. Like, I, I can name all the ones, you know, all the ones he did or had some part in, and it's, it's so good. And, and, and like, I was, like I said earlier, the best version I recommend is the Game Boy Advance version. The problem with that version is it is very hard to find. I can only imagine if you're able to plumb the depths of eBay to find it, it's probably exorbitantly priced. The cheapest, uh, I actually looked recently, and the cheapest one I was able to find was $99. You know, not bad by like Game Boy Advance standards on eBay, but still. That might be a bit steep for some people. To- yeah, definitely. And definitely if you're just jumping into the series for the first time, I don't recommend that. Uh, the Probably the easiest one to get a hold of is the Steam version, which is the Game Boy Advance version, but looks like butt. So uh, It just looks cheap and plastic, and I'm going to say the same thing for 6. Uh, so then we move on to 6, which is a fucking masterpiece. And, and something that uh, that's sort of a, a reoccurring thing is when they get to the end of the life cycle for a console, they go all out. Like with 3, they went all out and pushed the limits of what the NES can do. And when they got to 6, they did the same thing. They, they, they definitely pushed the SNES to its limits in terms of graphics, in terms of sound, in terms of just like mechanics because... Just, just when we hear Johnson talk about it in the past and what I've looked at it before, six is definitely a stunning game. Mm-hmm. Even, even if something that's in the era of the Super Nintendo, it's, it's a, I, I, I it just, it seems kind of silly to kind of be like in awe over like a very, I guess, pixelated game, but it's definitely one of the best games in, 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 in like, I guess ever. And like one of the best games you could get of that era. Oh, a hundred percent. 
And, and just like like you're saying, for a game that came out '94, it's just just amazing at what it was able to do. Uh, there, there is a quote from like Ob- Nobuo Imatsu where they were talking about the, where he's talking about the launch party, and he he was like crying because of just like how beautiful he made it and things like that. And like with the SNES games, if like four is definitely more, I, I would describe as epic. Five, you know, is definitely comedic. Six is very operatic in a lot of ways completely intended because there's a very famous scene with the opera in this game that kind of helped define what this game is but sort of the synopsis of the game is uh it follows this uh young girl named tara who is uh, who lost her memory but she is able to use magic in a world that hasn't had magic for a thousand years and that's sort of a big deal uh because the the empire, the Gestalian empire is uh, trying to find ways of using magic for world domination. And she gets wrapped up in, you know, a rebel or uh, a rebellion to fight against this, so on and so forth. And it's, and by that description, it sounds very rote and trite, but it definitely goes places you were not expecting. And I, of all the games, uh, I definitely would recommend going into it as blind as possible uh, because there are things that happen in this game that don't really see in games, period, but especially games of that time. And I did want to mention, like we talked about how 4 is very much like one of these big tent poles in the series. I feel like 6 is very much in the same way because it has some of the most iconic characters and definitely one of the most iconic villains in this series, and that's (laughs) Kefka the Clown. Yeah, Kefka is definitely... He's definitely my favorite villain of the series um, uh, for various reasons, but God, this game is just fucking... Like, it it sounds like I'm just, like, a sycophant for this game, but it's just... I can't really fully articulate how good this game is until like people have played it because it is like like we talked before it just has like a very engaging story a lot of you know nuances and like it just you do like it's a very it's a very little journey to what all the characters sort of go through and how even the villain is very progressive over the course of the series how he goes from essentially a court jester to be the biggest threat the world has ever seen and it all sort of just culminates in the very like like engaging fashion and not to mention it has like all these sort of like a very unique sort of like world setting because it has like this sort of like diesel punk sort of thing like there's a lot of like a lot of machinery and mechanical it's definitely the most steampunk of the series um if that's the correct term or like diesel punk like you were saying it's more akin to like i would say like the second industrial revolution like late 1800s type thing like there, there's trains and steam power and coal power and things like that, and and plus there's just like all these big like climactic moments of the course of the story, just from like I feel like there's like there's, there's, it is sort of broken up into like these big sort of set piece moments, and while while my favorite moment in this series isn't maybe sort of like a plot set piece, it's just one of the most outrageous moments in the entire franchise when you're fighting a train, you're on the yes. run, you're on the run from a train and you, and you get, you can suplex the train. You can suplex the train. Yeah. It is fucking amazing. 
<laughs> just like just just say you fight a train like you're, you're really running on the track running from the train fighting it and you can and one of your characters a fighter he literally picks up the cane the train and just spikes it into the ground and it's just uh, one of the greatest moments in gaming it, it, it's so good it's one it's definitely probably the most memeable part of this game but god it's just Sabin suplexes a train and, and like like that happens like pretty early into the game too um, so it's sort of just to give you an idea what to expect with this game it goes wild yeah and and, and like where four was somber and five was comedic to me they took the best parts of both of those to combine into this game because there, there are definitely some goofy moments in this game like that or, or just like characters in general like there's there's one character who's just a feral child and, and he just has really like funny reactions to things this game also boasts the largest playable cast in any of the series with 14 playable characters and only two of those are optional, or th- three? Two or three are optional, but even then, that that's just fucking enormous. And this is definitely a return to the <laughs> whole, um, the characters are their classes, so you, you can't really swap between swap a character between your class. They're more, it's very much cemented in who they are as the character. Yes and no. Uh, once you gain the ability to get magic... Uh, you can literally turn everybody into a mage. You could teach everybody Ultima and break the fucking game in half. <laughs> uh, I definitely wouldn't recommend that because there, uh, there are characters who, based on their like initial stats, are better at magic than others. Like, like Tara, she's a natural magic user, so she can use magic better. And there, there are other characters like who are more prone to certain things than others. And uh, six, this is the first time where the main character is uh, a woman, right? Yeah, I think the only time. Well, what about 13? Th- oh, yeah. With Lightning. I keep forgetting that game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is... Or, I'm trying to think. Yeah, this and 13. Uh, but, like... And it... And I say that, but, like, even saying Tara is the main character, is it, it's hard to say that. Well, I guess because, like she's definitely like a, a a focal like I guess like the lens that the game sort of focuses through. Yeah, but like even then, there there are large swaths of the game where she's not even a playable character. But I'd probably say the next character would be Celeste, and she's also a woman who's a magic user, but has a very different arc. And, and sort of like what Pat was saying, like each character has is their own class, but. Even more so than four, each character has their own unique ability to them that they can use. Uh, like, for example, like Sabin, the guy who can literally suplex a fucking train, he's the monk, and he has this ability called Blitz, where you can input like Street Fighter like commands to do attacks, and that's how you do like the suplex and stuff like that. Shadow, who's a ninja, can throw like items like shurikens and stuff. Locke is the thief, and he can steal and mug from characters or from enemies and things like that. And I could go on. Uh, I just fucking love this game. Uh, I, I will say a couple of the unique abilities are, like, even in the newest versions, are kind of broken. Like, they just don't really work. Uh, or they're just, like, really fucking annoying to get. Like, the feral kid, his name is Gal. And the way you get his rages fucking blows 
and then uh, in the original game, uh, the character Realm, who's this little girl, uh, she she's basically uh, an artist, or uh, they call her a pictomancer, where she can like literally like draw an enemy and use that enemy's attack against them. Did, well, did you give a recommendation for the best version to play six? Yeah, uh, it would also be the GBA, but like five, it's about a hundred dollars. Uh, the easiest one to get is the Steam version, but like that, it, it it's poo poo garbage. It, it, it is just sort of an unfortunate. It doesn't have a definitive version, and it's probably like as much as I love this game is one of the main reasons I, as much as I want to recommend it to people, it's definitely not one I could you know like say you know without being like get a GBA you know emulator, but it, it's definitely. St- one of the best in the series, and I feel like it, it plus I feel like it's a very good culmination of uh, of the franchise to this point because this is the last of what we would what we would call the classic era of Final Fantasy. Yeah, and, and like in six and seven are the, this weird nebulous transition where it kind of they take the best of both modern and uh, classic Final Fantasy six being more on the classic side and seven being more on the modern. And I think it was sort of the alchemy of both of those coming together that make these two the best in the series, in my opinion. So, and uh, I think this would be a good point to take a quick break. We're go- this, since we sort of wrapped up the classic era, we're going to take a break, and we'll come back and start talking on the more modern iterations of the series. With with the series, probably the biggest, well done one, Final Fantasy VII. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our part two of our Final Fantasy Primer. And uh, we, we just got through talking about the classic era of the series, and now we're getting into the more modern installments of the franchise. And we'll be getting back into it with probably the most well-known of the franchise. And uh, to many, that, that is definitely the most well-known. And are definitely the most uh, profitable, because of, of all the different versions, it's had the most, as the biggest expanded universe of any iteration. Yeah. They, and they, they just, because a lot of them, a lot of these games have sequels, but this, they, they the, a lot of the insulary material for seven, they just call it the compilation of final fantasy seven. So it, final fantasy seven is the name of the game. And it's almost a franchise into of itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know a lot of people will cry foul and say, you know, Oh, this game's overrated. I don't understand why people love this game. But, like, not only just, like, the fact, like, it just was, it came out at the right place at the right time. It's just also a really fucking good game. Like, even the original PlayStation version. Like, I mean, it's just, a lot of it's warranted. It's just sort of like Ocarina of Time for Zelda. I know a lot of people will cry, you know. God, this game's overrated. I don't know why people say this is the best game of all time. Do I agree with that? No, but like it's still a fucking fantastic game. And and the upcoming remake is sort of what is the inspiration for this episode. Yeah. Because um, we actually played it together a while back on Twitch. You, know, you can go back and check out that archive on youtube.com slash all you can hear. And, and, and like as someone who's had just sort of like a basic knowledge of Final Fantasy VII, to be able to go and experience it in the remake is it was just like an awesome experience 
and I can only imagine what it's like for you as someone who grew up with the game and gets to see this sort of reinvigorated version of it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And there, there's some stuff about the remake. I'm, I'm still a little cautiously optimistic about, you know, in the sense I'm a little trepidatious, but at the same time, it, like just that demo, like fuck me. It was so good. And like, there's just, it, it's literally the best of both worlds being, you know, real time and, you know, uh, turn based. And I, I didn't know how they would able to pull that off. And they did. And we'll see how that goes as that turns into a franchise. But uh, talking about the original Final Fantasy VII, uh, Final Fantasy VI, uh, like like you know, like I was saying, you know, they were really proud of that one. You know, Nobuo Matsu said, you know, he was like crying during the launch party. Also, going back to six, six has the best soundtrack. Fight me. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of proposed ideas of what seven was going to be. Uh, but it a lot of it got put on the back burner because of a another popular game in uh, Square's catalog, and that was Chrono Trigger. That got the uh, which was the rare cross between Square and then at the time you know Enix, the for Dragon Quest where they did this big collab to create that game, which people who played it have said that's like the best game ever made. It's definitely one of the most highest rated like RPGs and just sort of games in general. That's definitely a, uh, a game that you should go out of your way to look into playing because it's definitely one of the most highest regarded games ever. Oh, 100%. And like it, it's, I, I've just never had the chance to play it yet, but it, it's on the top of my list of games to play. Like, and sort of ideas that were going to be in this game, like, uh, there was one idea that this they wanted to have it set in New York in the present day, and it was going to be like a noir detective story. And, you know, I think a lot of those ideas got rolled into Parasite Eve, and then there were just some other ideas, and they ultimately... Uh, one of the big catalyst events in real life that happened was series creator Hironobu Sakaguchi. His uh, mother died, and a lot of... and how like life, death, and rebirth is a big theme of Seven. You know, you really see a lot of his ruminating on on death really permeate the game. Even though like he had he hadn't directed a game since five, but his influence was still very present, and especially in this one. And sort of the synopsis and the setup is follows. Uh, this guy named Cloud, who is an ex, what they called soldier, which are these like superhuman super soldiers. And he ends up uh, joining uh, this, uh, basically this terrorist organization called Avalanche, who are, uh, are, are fighting against the Shinra Corporation, who are the basically these this monopolistic energy conglomerate who have basically taken over the world. And, and they're trying to overthrow... Shinra, you know, to quote save the planet, because how they're you how they're getting uh, the energy to you know run their high tech world is through Mako, which is energy that's ripped from what's called the life stream, and the life stream is this very nebulous concept that's like you know all like the like the soul of the planet and the soul of those who've died and have yet to be born that sort of thing and you know if already you know, there's 
this game is probably very, um, what's the term, uh, applicable to our time as global warming is a very imminent threat. It is. It is funny, sort of how with the original Final Fantasy VII came out at the right place at the right time, and sort of like I guess accessibility and people to come on, come on, kind of latch on to. And whereas its sort of predecessor, the the remake is sort of coming out in a at a at an era where a lot of these sort of internal themes of the game is very resonant with our own sort of you know life. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I've I've heard like a lot of people who were like alive and old enough to remember when seven came out and they, you know, they were like, Oh, like, you know, I liked Shinra as villains, but they seemed like cartoonishly over the top, but now they just seem tame by comparison to real life. Yeah. You know, as you know, CEOs and rich people get more and more evil. And as Pat was saying, this is definitely the most popular game in the series. Like, and, and like I said earlier, a lot of that has to do with the game is just that good um it, it's not my favorite of the series but it, it's it's up there it's within the top three it, it just mostly just because of the characters and the theming and just the writing in general very similar to six in that regard uh and this is even probably the game that has i would argue the worst translation of any of the games in the series just because uh square really wanted uh to do their translation in-house and there's a lot of lines you can tell they are not, you know, it's not translated by native English speakers. So, <laughs> like, you'll be able to tell what is supposed to be said, but if you think about what the literal words that are on screen, it's like, wow, that does not make a lick of sense. But, like, this game also just, it, it was the first one they really marketed, which, uh, like, I mean, there were always, like, uh like commercials and advertising for, especially for Final Fantasy VI over here. But there wasn't as big of a push as, say, Final Fantasy VII. It was literally everywhere. And this was also the first game that got, uh, first game that was uh, introduced in the Europe region because they didn't even get Final Fantasy I. The, like only the North American countries got Final Fantasy I went in two and three, or our version of two and three when they came out. So, so just further cementing this as like like a very like nostalgic, deeply rooted, con- deeply rootedly connected game because it you have all the entire like continent dudes like never really got to play a Final Fantasy before, and this is their first one. And just imagine how closely they hold that. Never mind everybody in Japan, everybody in America, because like because it, it, it just definitely feels like a big turning point in this series as a whole. Because just not only with the themes or the things they touch on, but just also this is the first game in 3d it's, it's the first one for the mm-hmm. playstation and and just like a, a huge technological jump as well a hundred percent and you know before you know you were like oh y'all were talking about it being on nintendo consoles well <laughs> the big prop well, one of the things they wanted to do with this game was once they finally got down to writing it was they wanted they wanted it in 3d and they put a they made a tech demo of with characters from from Final Fantasy VI as sort of what they were capable of. And then, but when Nintendo announced the N64 and, you know, N64 was going to be on cartridges instead of CD like the PlayStation, Square, you know, gave, you know, told Nintendo to fuck off and they went to PlayStation. Uh, and, and that also leads to this game. Uh, 
I don't want to say more mature because six definitely is dark and deals with very heavy things like uh, very like existential issues and suicide and even like teen pregnancy at one point. Uh, this game definitely has a uh, a sharper edge to it, a more mature edge that uh, the earlier games didn't have. And a lot of that had to do with uh, PlayStation's more lax, uh, lax censorship uh, issues. Because Nintendo, especially Nintendo of America, was really notorious for having weird, arbitrary censorship things. Like, uh, I know with uh, 4 and 6 in the States, like, they had to change names of spells that had any sort of reference to to Judeo-Christian. Yeah, Nintendo has a very hard stance about having any sort of religious iconography or reference to any of their games, so that was definitely censored out. Oh, like any reference to prayer was censored out. And and that's one of the main reasons a lot of people, including myself, say, you know, don't play the original SNES versions of these games because of that reason. Uh, which they've later fixed in subsequent re-releases. <coughs> uh, like the other other games, this is also also uses active time. Uh, this game uh, introduced the materia system, which is uh, a really interesting concept. Uh, unlike six, with another thing I forgot to mention was magicite in that game where you would attach the magicite to a character and it has specific spells on it. And then you level up that uh, magicite on that character, you learn specific spells. And that that spell stays on that character. Materia kind of does the inverse of that, where it is uh, the spells are on the materia and you level up the materia itself. But once you take the materia off that character, that character can't use that spell so like if i put the fire material on cloud he can cast fire but if i take that fire material off of cloud he can't cast any that spell anymore so it's more so like the 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 abilities and magic are more sort of like equipable and more Mm -hmm. so like like an inherent abilities it's like you can just sort of plug and play to whichever one is is most to your preference yeah definitely and and Similar to Final Fantasy VI, de- different characters are going to be better f- suited for different uh, abilities, you know, based on inherent uh, stats and stuff like that. Like, you probably won't want to put too much magic on Cloud because he's more of a melee guy, and so on. Or like, or put a bunch of magic on Tifa, who's also very melee uh, focused. Uh, <clears throat> and there's also trade-offs for equipping materia where like uh, materia uh, I think a lot of like magic based materia will actually like lower your uh, HP so there's like a trade-off of like do I want to dump all this materia onto one character and they have basically be a glass cannon or do I want to diversify my magic abilities through all my characters Oh, excuse me. <coughs> In materia, like Magicite, which Magicite were 
basically crystallized versions of the summons in that game. This game is uh, materia is crystallized version of Ma- of um, of a uh, mako or uh, uh, the life stream energy, um, and like and I would be remiss if not to mention Sephiroth, probably one of the best villains in the street. I keep hitting definitely it. one of the most iconic villains in the series. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Hold on one second. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the more iconic villains of the series, just in his design alone. You just was like, I remember like seeing him as a little kid and just be like, looks so fucking cool. And especially playing Kingdom Hearts, where he just like wrecks your face, <laughs> just being so fucking hard. Um, and plus, they definitely do something interesting with sort of Sephiroth's. I guess presentation over the course of the game is not not to spoil, but like he he definitely has a different approach to like how his methodology and sort of his like presence in the game is felt from the beginning to the end. Definitely, and one thing that a lot of players will probably be surprised at when they play this game is he's not in the physically in the game all that much. But just his presence and impact is just so monumental. It's, it's definitely a, it's a very like calculated effort to sort of to give him that sort of like presence mm-hmm. and just sense of like danger, because like there's definitely a few moments in the course of, the, of seven where you don't see him; you just see the effects of what he's done, and it's extremely impactful. Yeah, especially like his introduction. And there's one scene early on in the game where, or it's this one sequence where you're you have to get to this cave, but you're blocked by this giant snake that will like chase you down, and it it's like <laughs> it will wreck you. Like you, like at your current level, you are not equipped to fight this. Thing. It would essentially be like a hopeless fight if you if you get caught by it. A hundred percent. Um, like you have to have a very specific setup, and you have to grind. Uh, like in order to pass it, you have to get a chocobo to ride because the chocobo is the only thing that's faster than it. And so you get across to the other side, and you see where Sephiroth has been, and he has just impaled one of those snakes on a fucking tree. And it just really brings into a like into view how powerful he is, and how like how far you have to go yourself in order to get to his level. It, it and and of course he has like one of the best fucking villain themes in the One Wing Angel, especially the Advent Children version. Mwah. So. And, and like we said, Seven is definitely the most expansive in terms of its own story. There's, it has several different spinoffs and and like it, it, sort of stories that sort of build upon the world that Seven builds. And we're just more so be focusing to to this and probably you can be touched a little bit on the actual uh, remake. Yeah, which uh, they're saying they're they're using the compilation as sort of they're pulling things as inspiration. And even from the demo, I can see where they pulled from it, but they're not directly adapting 
any of the compilation. And there's going to be some of the stuff they're going to just ignore from it. Basically taking like um, the strongest bits from all sort of the ancillary versions of seven and sort of combining that in this like most pristine form. Exactly. And as far as like my opinion on the compilation, like there's parts of it I like, but most of it is garbage. Like, Advent Children sucks. George of Cerberus is fucking awful. Uh, and Crisis Core is probably the best one, which is a prequel. But it it, ha- it introduced some things that were completely unnecessary. But that that's a conversation for another time. Now, as far as recommending this game, uh, as much as this game is, you know, as much as as impactful as it is on the series on the on RPGs, on just gaming in general, I am very hesitant to recommend it. Uh, Mostly because unlike the previous games in the series, which there is at least one version that has a better translation or a a fantastic one, this one doesn't. Um, It's still the PlayStation 1 version, which in English at least, the translation is very weak. And in that, you lose a lot of the nuance that was supposed to be there. And also, too, the remake is on the horizon. And I have, I have very good faith that the remake is going to be good, at least the first part of the remake. Uh, so I would definitely hold off, wait, probably like look at reviews to see what the consensus is about the 7 remake and go with that. And, and definitely if the uh, demo is still available, I would, I, I would recommend trying that just sort of to get a feel for the combat and sort of like the the, the sort of expanded world of the game mm-hmm. and plus you know it like 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 we said it's like and a gorgeous game a gorgeous oh, it's it's fucking beautiful and as far as i know the demo's still up so 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 i feel like that of of that of all the of the games we talked about so far we definitely have like the most modern version of final fantasy accessible right now and i feel like that's that's a nice little bridge, sort of you know, see what see what the modern, that I guess the the mid modern and the classic is it just all all in once. Yeah, and, and like I said, there there are some things I'm a little apprehensive about. Like they're very they're showing Sephiroth a lot earlier, which I'm not super thrilled about because like in the original game, he like I said, he's not in the game often, but when he is, it's very impactful. But like. I don't know how they're going to use him in the remake. It actually might work better. And also, because like the things with trailers, you know, they they can always be deliberately made in the way to sort of hype expectations, but also not give everything about what's actually in the game. Yeah, and, and uh, I know a lot of like reviewers got or like media people got a longer demo that had I even showed parts of like later later on in the game and they and they were just singing its praises so i'm very i'm I'm very hyped for it and hope it's as good as say like the recent resident evil remakes which i'm playing two resident evil 2 right now amazing if not hard as fucking balls god damn it <laughs> uh and which leads to final fantasy 8 which is the first very divisive game in this series. After 7 was just this fucking smash hit, you know. They went ahead and, you know, started getting work on 8. And 
this one, this project was led by Yoshinori Katase, who is Sakaguchi kind of brought him up as his protege. And uh, Katase is basically the guy who's over Final Fantasy now. He is the face of modern Final Fantasy. Uh, and, and he helped direct six, but this eight was, and, and I think he directed seven, but I know he, he directed this one. And uh, I think this game came out in 99. I could, it was 98 or 99. And they definitely wanted to go more futuristic or more like modern futuristic uh, and specifically modeled off of Europe. And so they sent a lot of like the designers to like stay in Europe and, you know, you know, make concept drawings of the architecture and stuff like that. Uh, and in like clothes and costumes and stuff. Um, this game follows a uh, squall Leonhart, who is a uh, a student in this uh, this basically boarding school for mercenaries uh, <laughs> called Seed, or it's uh, he's training to become a Seed in uh, this a place called Balam Garden, which trains basically young kids to be child soldiers. And it sounds horrifying, but they don't really go too much into the... They don't oversell it. A lot of like the horror from that is very understated. But he, after passing his exam, uh, him and some of his friends, or I say friends, but his colleagues get assigned to help this young woman named Renoa Hartley to uh, help push back against the invading Galbadia Empire who are invading and trying to take over the world. It sounds very similar to a lot of the other ones, but it, it goes in a very different direction. This game is the one I most recently played and beaten. Uh, and it is, uh, like I said, it's very divisive in the fandom. People either really love it or really fucking hate it. There's no in-between. And I tend to lean more into the like it. Uh, it's definitely not my favorite. Uh, it has very major issues. But I know one of the things, the chief things that people took on bridge with in the A is the battle system. Because we, we, we talked about how they always they always try to change up how the game is played from, from iteration to iteration. And... While it's, I definitely don't blame them for wanting to try something new. Their sort of intent does that maybe always work out the way they want. Because yeah. while it is innovative and different, but different doesn't always mean like better, fun, or I guess like very like intuitive. It's definitely a very different take on battle system in the series. Yeah, and it's a shame too because I really like the concept. Because uh, basically, in, in this version, the summons of this game, the Guardian Forces, uh, the characters attach the Guardian Forces to themselves, and then they can, uh, what what they call junction magic to their stats. And basically, there's like a term in game design for like vertical leveling or horizontal leveling. And vertical leveling is very like traditional forms of leveling where it's like at this level, once you level up, you get this much, these stats increase type of thing. Whereas horizontal is more based on equipment and things like that. And this is definitely a more horizontal way of leveling because uh, you junction magic to your stats to increase it. Uh, and, and this game really doesn't rely a lot on magic use because you really need to hold on to your magic to junction to make your stats better. 
because like as you explained to me, because magic is not so much like a like a like you know have, like a, have a magic bar. You sort of refill it and and use as as you do. It's more like magic's more like a more quantified it's, unit. It's it's basically like an item. So like it, I like I have a hundred fires. I can cast you know use one fire to cast it. You know sort of thing, which I know like a lot of people who really like magic builds of their characters are probably going to be turned off by it. But I really like that in theory. What makes this fucking thing, this fucking battle system, the worst is the drawing. Because in order to get magic spells, you have to fucking draw them. Uh, usually from enemies or from like set points on the map where you can draw them. The pr- And the problem is, is in order to really get the full effect of a certain spell you really need a hundred of that spell which that sounds like a lot and that's because it is and so you have to draw from enemies and and the amount of uh of that spell you draw is randomized so i can draw like nine fires from an enemy one turn and then the next turn it can either fail or it can only draw one or two and when you and it just makes it really freaking grindy because you're just you're essentially like grinding and farming during a battle to get like something that feels that would be fairly necessary a part of any other battle system and then on top of that you're using that for your turn so enemies are still attacking you so you're still having to deal with that so you're so you're, so you're making no offensive progress in the battle and so you're still taking all this damage from the enemy, so you have to like sacri- essentially sacrifice an action to sort of g- g- gain something, whereas you kind of have to monopolize, I guess not monopolize, you have to like really choose who fights and who farms over the course of the battle. And that's, that's a weird sort of a split in it and like needs that's like, it just seems unnecessary because like every single battle kind of turns into like this dual operation yeah and i say you need like 100 of each spell but you need one for all the characters in your party so you need at least three and i think there's six or seven playable characters so like ideally you would need like 700 of one spell to make it real so you can max out each character but you can you can transfer spells and junctions between characters so at minimum, you need 300, which is still a ridiculous amount. And it's just really fucking annoying. And I've tried to play this game so many times and put it down, mostly because life got in the way, but I just kind of got disheartened by it because it was so grindy. And then once you do get all the spells, you break the game in half. And it makes this one of the easiest Final Fantasies, if not the easiest because of that. Granted that you get to the point where you're able to use the magic, it still have to go through the process of like accumulating the wealth of the resources. Oh, yeah, and and then there are ways you you can get spells without doing that, without battle. Like, uh, there's a a side quest, or like a a mini game, it's called Triple Triad, it's a card game, uh, which... I recommend you play a lot of it's it's kind of fun it's really hard to get started because it 
kicks your face in, but once you start getting good cards, it, it, it's really fun. And you can sort of, once you get certain abilities, you can refine cards into spells. Uh, so, like, if you know what you're doing, by, like, hour five, you can have, like, 300 Kiragas, which is the best, like, one of the best, like, spells to attach to your HP. So, and another reason this game is really divisive is the story. Uh, the Unlike the previous games, where, like, the plot is definite and, like, plot events are definitely important, it was more about exploring characters. This game is definitely more plot-centric, and it doesn't really, like, it doesn't really go in, like, delve into, like, uh, especially a lot of the side characters much. It mostly just deals with Squall, the main character. And um, this game is definitely more young adult, like a young adult novel than the, and that, and that was by design. So like, it's very angsty. <laughs> it's very teenager. And you have to keep that in mind while, while the story is going on. So like the characters are just, especially Squall is kind of the fucking worst. Cause I know that that was, that was another big criticism. It's just sort of like that contrasting character between cloud and Leon. It's just like how, well, we're, in, we're I guess whereas in later installments of Final Fantasy VII, Cloud is definitely more more of a somber character. Like in in the original seven, he he he's a fucking goober. Like he, he's def like I remember like there's there's a part at the end of the game where they're getting ready. I think it, it might be ready going to the final dungeon, and he's like, "All right, let's mosey." <laughs> so like he it's, it's like Cloud has this like has a humor about him or. Um, Squall is definitely more, he's a, he's a bit more morose and, and he's very introverted. And, and once he starts opening up, he becomes more tolerable. But in another thing too, is you get his inner monologue, which is very, is unique to this game. You don't really get that in a lot of the previous games and his, his inner monologue is the fucking worst because it's, he's like, I don't need others. I only need myself because I don't want, I don't want to feel emotions, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, f fuck off, dude. <laughs> and, and then like characters will be talking to him and he'll only respond. He, he'll just like ignore them or be like, whatever, God. So if, if that's something like you just can't get past, I, I recommend skipping this game. Even though Squall is, has one of the most interesting, uh, Weapons in the game, like his character is not maybe as as interesting. Uh, I I will say it's interesting. He it is just irritating because I mean he, he's a seventeen year old kid, so and, and we were all like fucking annoying, shitty, solipsistic kids at that age. Very teen drama. Yeah, and it's very like teen drama. So if you know that going in, uh, I think that helps set your expectations. But like you were saying, the gun blade, which is his weapon, is fucking cool. So imagine, uh, if you haven't seen it, a giant revolver, but instead of having a barrel, it just has a very long blade. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And, but, then, and then, like, isn't his rival, his counterpart, has a, a similar weapon, also a gun blade, but instead of a revolver, it's a Glock, essentially, with a blade? Yeah, it, like, it makes even less sense. And, uh, Cypher is the worst character in that fucking game. But uh, this game also is the first and I think only 
game in the series that has a female villain in, in Ultimicia. And it's a shame she doesn't really get as much characterization as I'd like. But, like, outside of Squall and Laguna, who, Laguna, I stand. There's really not a, a lot of characterization for a lot of the characters. But, like, the plot is very, I, I would say, engaging. And there's a lot of, like, understated things that if you're not paying attention, you won't get. Uh, there, there. In that sense, there is a lot of show don't tell. If you are going to get this game, I recommend the PC version, uh, mostly because of the built-in cheats. It's more uh, extensive than say the Switch version, which was the version I played, which only had three times speed, basically invulnerability, and then no encounters. But the PC version has more built-in cheats, and that three times speed function, holy shit! It is a lifesaver. It makes drawing so much more bearable. And then, but I mean, since you're breaking the game already, might as well put on invincibility cheats because at this point you're only playing it for the story. Uh, and, and and because of that, I don't recommend this game for first time. It's like, while it definitely is emblematic of modern Final Fantasy, there's just a lot of things about this game that just doesn't work. So as if I could definitely see how this, there's definitely like a lot of, Things in terms of like the mechanics and sort of maybe even the story that might be too steep of a hill to climb for brand yeah, new players. Yeah, there, there are definitely some large barriers of entry for this one. So I would definitely, I would definitely follow his lead and it's like come back to eight once you sort of have had your experience with a few other forays in the series first. Yeah, and even then, I would probably just recommend watching like a walkthrough on YouTube, honestly. That way, you won't like actually have to fucking play it. <laughs> so, because like, as as with all these games, there's there's a, it has they all have their idiosyncrasies, and who you are as a person and your play style and your patience factors heavily into everything, especially to mm-hmm. something that's varied as Final Fantasy. Yeah, and definitely, uh, and this is something we'll get into in the next game. But this game is also without that three times speed. It's kind of a slow game anyway. Seven and the previous games are pretty like dynamic and fast. Whereas, uh, I don't know, like the combat in eight is lethargic. Not as bad as the next game we're going to get to, which is nine, but it is still noticeable. Uh, which then leads us to nine, which uh, this was the last game that Hironobu Sakaguchi really worked on. And uh, with this game, he wanted to create basically, once again, the Final Fantasy as he saw it. And this was going to be a game that homaged every game in the series thus far. And originally it was just going to be a spinoff, but then it sort of got rolled into a numbered title. (coughs) And this game um, in, in the mainstream is definitely overlooked. And a lot of that has to do is... Out of the PlayStation games, it did not sell well uh, comparatively because it came out like a couple months after the PS2 was released. So, like, I mean, it's already on an old console and things like that. And it is definitely more reminiscent of classic Final Fantasy. It is more more fantasy-driven. It it has a more self-serious, light-hearted tone. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, it still has its own convoluted bullshit. But this game uh, follows uh, 
initially this uh, theater troupe named Tantalus, mainly the character of Zidane, who's the main character. And they're putting on this play for this, uh, for the, for this uh, kingdom of King Bronze, Queen Bronze, and they plan on capturing the princess for ransom. But in a twist, the princess actually wants to be captured, Princess Garnet. And then through like various twists and turns, other characters get entangled, and then we have this long four-disc sprawling adventure. Because that's something that I thought was interesting going back look at this over the PlayStation era of the Final Fantasy series is how like you have these multi-disc games. I remember someone bringing eight to school and I was just being like blown away because it has a stick case of four discs in it. Mm. And it's just, it's unheard of nowadays, but back then the game was just so expansive that that's the only way you could get, get your story across was just over multiple discs. Yeah. And, and like the PlayStation CD ROMs were like cheap to produce. So it wasn't like putting a game on multiple cartridges, which were much more expensive to produce, and that's why Square went away from Nintendo. But uh, Final Fantasy IX, uh, while it definitely didn't get the mainstream attention of, say, seven or eight, and even now it doesn't get a lot of the mainstream attention, uh, for a lot of series fans, they really stand this game. And it is, and a lot of people's favorites. Um, it's, it's definitely of the PlayStation era and probably of the modern era. It's one of the more underrated entries in the series. Yeah, and it, and by fans, it's really highly regarded. Um, as far as my personal opinion, it didn't hit me like it did a lot of people. Um, the story kind of meanders, in my opinion. And then the ending is really convoluted and you need the Ultimania to actually understand the plot. <laughs> uh, like it, it gets like even for Final Fantasy standards gets stupid convoluted. But that being said, it, it's still it's still a fun game. I definitely do think in, in, it's another contrasting sequel because the last two with like seven and eight. Well, it's obviously called Final Fantasy. They just have these sort of magical elements. To it. They, they, the last two have sort of steered more towards like a more science fiction mm-hmm. sort of flair and story. And with nine being so, it's like a harken back to the old days of the franchise, like the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo era. It's definitely a more like obviously on the surface a fantasy story. Yeah, a hundred percent. And this game was. Uh, and I'm just going to be up front. I also don't recommend this as a first. Main, mostly because it is a celebration of Final Fantasy up to that point. And there's a lot of like, ultimately it's just little Easter eggs. But if you haven't played any of the games in the series, a lot of like jokes and puns won't really hit the same. So it's so definitely just sort of get the, guess, to get the best for like all the references and all the little winks and nods definitely sort of get a feel for the series as a whole and then approach this one. And I, I definitely will say this was probably definitely a more lighthearted than the last two. It yeah. definitely, it definitely has its moments. It has this more like some fairly philosophical themes. <laughs> like, especially with the character of Vivi who 
Which is, which I, I just want to give him a hug the entire is, game. This is like it, it was maybe it's a very cool because like it has such a very like old style black mage with like the big wide brim hat, like the obscured face, glowing eyes. Kind of reminds me of like a Jawa. Yeah, it, but you know it's, they can cheat fireballs. So it, it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's an odd entry for sure, but it's definitely it, it's not without its charms. Oh no, it like. Like even though like it, I'm, I'm kind of I'm a little more on the ambivalent side to it. I, I still appreciate the hell out of this game, I, and and the people who say this is their favorite in the series, I understand why. It, I don't know. It just didn't hit me the same. And mm-hmm. probably if I play it again, uh, that would probably change. Now, for people who who were interested in playing it, um, has it really been re-released, reshuffled any any more times? Yeah. It- uh, I would probably recommend either the Steam or the Switch version, just for accessibility. Uh, they've they've also kind of cleaned it up, uh, not so much like the translation because this was actually like eight had a good translation, but like they really went all out with nine, and it's actually properly localized. Um, this game also has a very good villain in Kuja. Uh, very. Uh, gender fluid type character, which making them the villain may be problematic to some, but like he is a very strong character. Okay. And then we move to Final Fantasy X. And this is the first entry in the PlayStation 2 era, and probably the one of the next series that I have like the most like connotation with. Yeah, because a lot, uh, like what 7 was to the generation before us. 10 was our final, like our generation's final fantasy. Uh, it, it really hit home with a lot of people. And, the, the, you know, they had spent, you know, starting at like, I think they started working on 10 in like 99. And uh, this game is the first to have fully voiced characters, uh, which, like, uh, Sakaguchi, who had mostly um, stuck to. Uh, a business type of role at this point because there was a lot of politics involved. And then there was the movie spirits within which fucking bombed. <laughs> but, uh, he, he was really against voice acting at first until he, you know, he saw, you know, what the game would entail. And, and then he sort of came around on it. Um, this is definitely more in line with like eight stylistically, but I think it really refined, what really refined on that formula yeah. of what, at least with both story and then gameplay, which this is the first game since three that went strictly turn-based, but there's a lot more options to this. Uh, and it's one of the best combat systems of the series. Cause like you have like on the side, you have sort of, you see the turn order even for the enemies. So, uh, and you can swap characters mid battle and you won't lose a turn. So, uh, like if I want to pull Titus out and put like Waka in, I can do that and wouldn't lose a turn. And so it, cause different situations call for different characters for, cause they have different strengths. Even though like if you mid max the game, you can literally turn, have everybody learn everything. <laughs> but, um, as far as the story goes, it follows this young kid named Titus who is a professional blitzball player, which is like 
Imagine soccer underwater. Underwater soccer uh, is the best way to describe it. Uh, during the middle of a match he's having, uh, this giant whale-like creature attacks uh, his, his hometown, his home city of Xanarkand, and he meets a family friend named Oren, who, uh, as he ultimately learns, takes him uh, a thousand years into the future. And unlike... You know, when you think of going into the future, you know, you think like the Jetsons type of thing where it's more futuristic. But it's actually like Xanarkand that he's from is very like high tech. And then when he he gets sent back into the past, he's it's definitely more primitive. And it turns out that whale thing named Sin is a has been basically rampaging every so often only uh the only reprieve they get is when uh, a chosen summoner goes on a pilgrimage to summon the final aeon to uh calm sin for like a couple of years but then sin pops back up again and they have to start it over and uh this game is definitely a, a critique of organized religion in particular and how how it permeates in uh just affects you know everyday society um and that makes this game definitely a little more mature in tone and 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 very somber uh like if you were to look at the cover of this game which is a very tropical inspired very very like vibrant like lush like energetic like vibes you get from the cult from the game but then it 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 sort of does belie sort of the essential story and themes and I guess the journey of the characters. Yeah, because it's it, it's ultimately like really dark. And even if you listen to the opening piano piece, uh, to the game to Xanarkand, it's very it's this very melancholy piano ballad. And so, um, uh, Titus ultimately get, helps uh, this young summoner named Yuna to help her on her pilgrimage to summon the final Aeon and hopefully stop sin for you know a couple of years and um this game definitely had had the potential to be the very best in the series but there's a little things in my opinion that kind of hamstring it in that regard but that being said it's one of the it's one of the best games in the series i just would say i have a lot of memories with 10 just sort of like even on the the sidelines just with my friends playing because i remember them talking about watching them play going over like the the strategy guy because there, there's so many just like in terms of like artistic choices and like character design that they're just so prominent to me just in terms of like the aeons the, or the summons in this game are definitely like the, like the probably the most like maybe not the iconic but definitely like the most streamlined versions of all these characters like yeah. Shiva and Ifrit and th- these sort of like common reoccurring characters and uh, and probably um, in terms of character design probably definitely the most what we call Final Fantasy and just sort of like outrageous and sort of impracticality very much set in a world of fantasy with like to say to speak um, Lulu whose whose dress is known for being comprised of almost entirely of belts <laughs> yeah because that's uh, fucking uh, Tetsuya Nomura's uh, 
staple, his signature, belts and zippers. So if you see a, a character with an excess of those two accessories, you you know pretty well who designed it. Yeah, and especially with Kingdom Hearts, like he takes it to another level. Yeah, he they, they just let him go uh, go over there unchained, and he just decided to make whatever the hell he wanted. And which, you know, it, it may seem silly for someone on the outside, but that is part of the series' charm. It's just because, mm-hmm. like, this is a fantasy world where normal rules of, like, taste and fashion <laughs> don't necessarily apply. But, like I said, it, it is part of the charm. It's, yeah. It's, it, you can't imagine Final Fantasy without it. Yeah. And even though this game, I would argue, doesn't really have a main villain like the previous games do. The closest person to that is Seymour, and Seymour it looks fucking ridiculous. Because like he ha- like you know at at this point in the series we're very well into like the more like anime esque mm-hmm. design in terms of like hair very spiky, but then like you have Seymour a very like Western named villain. He has this weird flowing robe, but the biggest thing is his hair. He has this big blue hair long in the back but also have these long pronged and almost like antenna coming off to the side it, it, it like i can't wait we can't accurately describe it like just pause the podcast right now just go to google look up seymour from final fantasy 10 and you will just see just the level of ridiculous this is and just as a sidebar because there's no more is the artist for this sort of iteration of, of the series um, have you ever seen the his reimagining of DC superheroes? No, I haven't. They're a hoot, especially his uh, his reimagining of Batman. Look up Nomura's re- reinterpreting of Batman because these are all like <laughs> statues you can buy. He's done a few oh. Marvel characters too, but his his DC characters are, are spectacular. It's, <laughs> but Batman is a whole other level. Imagine like a human version of Bahamut, the the dragon, <laughs> and you get an idea of what. Final Fantasy Batman looks like. It's a hoot. God, I love you, Nomura. Do not stop what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, like I said, this game uh, is like vibrant and outrageous as sort of uh, the world design is and the character design. It definitely con- provides a very uh, much needed and interesting contrast with the actual story, which is definitely more... Definitely more somber, more melancholy. And also Final Fantasy X was like the first to have like a direct sequel. That's Final Fantasy X 2. Which, you want to talk about tone whiplash. Watch the intro to Final Fantasy X and then watch the intro to Final Fantasy X 2. Oh my god. Like, because Final Fantasy X, it's a beautiful piano ballad that's very melancholy. Final Fantasy X-2 starts with this J-pop banger that... <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, pre- it's pretty much night and day to what its predecessor was, but it, as, as someone who and their friends like and, and hailed both of these games in two, circa 2003 middle school, there's just so much charm in it as yeah. silly as it is and and, and like I, like i'm not lying when i say the song for 10 2 real emotion it's a banger uh, i i would recommend uh i I'd probably say for me the biggest hindrance with this game is uh the ending is a little weak in my opinion mm-hmm. it's definitely more about the journey than the des- destination i mean it's about a pilgrimage 
So which I think I, this game does very well. Just sort of like just uh, just like the ordeal that all the characters go through, and I feel like the, the character the ca- the cast is is smaller, so you get more time with each of them. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like that's that's like one of the stronger points of the game. It's just sort of the trajectory that these characters go on across to you know the saved world. I feel like that's one of the biggest things about it that stand out to me. Yeah, definitely. And, and like the voice acting, I know some people will poo poo on it, but well, you also have to think this is like I, I have a I I love the voice acting. There's definitely game. like there's definitely like a, a charm to it too. How how silly it is, but also this is like really one of the first. It's the first fully voice acted Final Fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. So of course it's gonna be like there's gonna be some hiccups there. Yeah, and I know a lot of people don't like Titus. Um, he's definitely not my favorite main protagonist. Uh, you mean you don't like his charming laugh? Ah-ha! <laughs> yeah, which like it, that scene in context is actually really fucking sad. But like y- y- you take it out of context, it's a instant meme. There's also a mod for the PC version that's called Tita's Fantasy 10, where <laughs> where they take every sound in the game and just modulate the voice, the the laugh. Yeah. So it's like the the two sound is like ha ha ha. It gets really grating, uh, but yeah. Uh, and then he kind of like hijacks the story at the end, which. I'm like, it's not about you stop. <laughs> Even though like one of like the first lines, he's like, listen to my story. I'm like, fuck off. It's like Yuna's the main character. Kill me. So with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about 12, 13, and 15, and then we'll go into my personal rankings of the series. I'll be back soon. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is uh, part three of the Final Fantasy Primer, and we'll be getting into the, the final games of the mainline series of the ser- of the franchise. And what we'll be talking about, Final Fantasy twelve next. Yes, and twelve is definitely a unique game in the series because uh, in, in the early, or in the late 90s, there was a game called Final Fantasy Tactics, which introduced the, uh, the setting of Ivalice, uh, which... Uh, they keep coming back to. Uh, and this is the main numbered game that's set in Ivalice. This is a very interesting game as far as like the history of it. Because uh, it got delayed out the ass. Uh, and it, it started a trend of Final Fantasies taking forever to make. And plus, this was the, the first Final Fantasy that was made Mainline Final Fantasy made after the union of Squaresoft and Enix, right? Yes. Well, technically no, because like Ten Two and games like that. But like, as far as the next game in the series, like I think the talks of that were going, were the merger was starting to go into effect once Ten was released. But I think initially Ten had the Squaresoft uh, logo instead of Square Enix. And a lot of that had to do, and I, there was a lot of very like corporate politics, and it ended up at this time, uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi ended up leaving and making his own studio. And, and there's kind of rumors on whether he left or kind of got ousted. And a lot of the business decisions, I forget the guy's name, I think it's uh, 
Iwata. Anyway, he, he's almost single-handedly the reason a lot of the shitty parts of this series came into effect in the mid to late 2000s. <coughs> but anywho, uh, Final Fantasy XII. Uh, this game is set in Ivalice. Uh It had, um, like, like I was saying earlier, troubled development. Uh, it was going along. Uh, the director ended up leaving towards the end just because of stress and corporate politics and stuff like that. Um, they initially uh, centered the story around the character of Bosch, but then uh, they kind of you know, did the bullshit corporate. Well, the focus group said we needed a character that was younger, and then that's how Vaughn came into came into the game and he became the protagonist and kind of feel shoehorned in <laughs> like he's very not consequential to the plot and and so like there'll be times where like the story will like be centered around specifically ash who's the princess of this uh game and then he'll just like kind of like pop up and be like oh yeah i'm here and it's really fu i fucking hate vaughn <laughs> but minus vaughn uh i really enjoy this game this is one of my favorites in the series because like even vaughn is written well like even though he's like fucking irritating but uh all the other characters are some of the best in the series like you know balthier Bosch, Ash, Fran, the bunny lady, the sexy bunny lady. Because um, I remember I have a, a fair amount of exposure to this game because uh, I was my a cousin of mine had it and we sort of watched and played through it. And it does harken back to the days of Tactics because Final Fantasy Tactics had a Game Boy Advance port and that was a game that a lot of my friends really poured a lot of time and energy into. And since, since it's set in a previously established iteration of the Final Fantasy War, there's a lot of familiar characters because it has like a lot of uh, races in the game. Like you know, like you have the you have the bunny women, you have you have the, the dragon men, and you have like all these different sort of forms. And, and just it's just to see those same sort of races and characters in a like a like a fully realized 3D world. It is very just like I guess. I don't know how to describe it. It just feels like, oh, they, they made it to this big point now. They're no longer relegated to, like, a side installment of the series. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just feels grand. Like, the the cities feel just huge. Like, even though you know they're not, ultimately, like, it's sort of, like, in, like in the game, but it just the grandiosity of this, it just, it just feels just epic in scope. I will say, I, in my mind, this is the brown game because <laughs> it is very brown. A lot of the game is centered around like a desert. Yeah, and 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 what what's like surprising is this game only centers around like one area of the world of Ibelis, but it feels like a whole world in, in a, into itself. Mm -hmm. And um, uh -oh. I will say because that. I feel like um, I, forgive me for not remembering their names, but the the character of uh oh, 
What we got going on here? We got some refreshments for the podcast. <laughs> thank you, thank yeah. you. Oh, wait. Oh, so we just put... That's how they need to get away with the Tico Martin. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. No, it's fine. Uh, we'll, we, we'll edit this out. Or we can keep it in. We just let us know that uh, Liz and Cannon, they surprise us with uh, some... Some margaritas. Some fucking margs. Let's get turnt, boys. So we're going to talk about Final Fantasy and see and see where we go, because we just got these little tiny bottles of Jose Cuervo. And then once we get to 13, I'm going to need this. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait. It's been so long since I had a margarita. And this is a oh big boy cup, too. Oh, yeah. Not as big as that big gulp from the La Hacienda. Yeah. Shout out to our... Local Mexican restaurant La Hacienda with their single serve pitchers with at least six shots of tequila. It is literally the big like big gulp, but margaritas. It's great. And, and, and this is how um, through quarantine measures people are able to have margaritas and alcoholic drinks to go. Yeah. Oh fuck me, that's so good. Oh fuck, that's good. <laughs> so we got we got some large margs and are ready to get back to it. We about to get fucked. All right. So, Final Fantasy twelve, But I think one of the main reasons I like this game is, uh, even though the uh, creators of this game said this wasn't a direct influence, but uh, it very much, it's the game that most feels like Star Wars. I was about to say, because that, that's the point I was getting at, is that the pirate captain and the, the bunny woman is very, like, Han Solo and Chewbacca vibes. Yeah, except you know, instead of you get you have sexy bunny lady. Well, you mean to tell me a weird fucking voice? You mean uh, Chewbacca isn't sexy? I mean, he has a that, that fat ass. Well, Mala has that Mala fat. has the fat ass <laughs> because we established in our canon that Chewbacca has no ass. Yes, that is very true. Just a flat back with a crack. That's hairy as shit. Anywho, um, but yeah, Balthier, he is definitely the Han Solo, and. and even though Vaughn, like I said, feels shoehorned in, he, he's definitely like the Luke Skywalker. Princess Ash is Leia, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're not one to one, but there's enough there in their general archetypes that you can make these comparisons. And plus, they have they're flying around on an airship. They're they're fight they're fighting yeah. down this like evil armored villain. So like, there's there's a lot you can you can compare to. Yeah, but it, but like. Like, like, but there's enough that differentiates it that makes it its own thing, and it's, and and, and as much as I, I I joke and say this is the brown game, uh, it is still like immaculately designed. Just the amount of detail and like the architecture, mm-hmm. and the the ships, and everything alone is just, especially if you play the Zodiac Age, which is the HD remaster. Oh my God, it looks fucking gorgeous. And like uh, Final Fantasy three, six, and nine before it, this was the last game on the PS two, and it, it, they pushed the limits. So, you, so you get the best of the hardware in this game. So you you can see the full capability of what they can do in the installment at the end of the, every life cycle, which is always exciting to see. A hundred, like just to to show like how much power this game required. Like, the PS2 literally couldn't handle all of it. Like, if you were to play this game on a ROM, like a PS2 emulator, it looked like the PS2 version. It looks 
better than it does like if you put a physical disc because the hardware of the PS2 could not handle just the amount of power that game required. This game, uh, like previous games, decided to go in a very different system. This game kind of plays like a single-player MMO. I was about to say, because there's definitely a very big change if it's a combat again, and it, and it is... People have compared it to an MMO. Mm-hmm. And ever since 10, there's a very, pr- a very progression you see towards real time, where I think with the Final Fantasy VII remake, they finally perfected it. But with here, like the gameplay is like fun... Uh, you, you only play as one character at a time, but which you know kind of sounds boring, you know, compared to previous games where you have control of all the characters. However, you do have a lot that goes into each character. You can set up what are called gambits, and the gambit system is oh, it's beautiful. It allows, it basically allows you to customize the AI of your party members. So, like, and and it's very detailed. So, it's like, in this situation, you you have the character uh, use a potion or something like that. Uh, And and like I said, you can get really detailed. But you can also play the game on wait mode, which which basically turns, you can turn it into a a turn-based RPG. Okay. That's, like, semi-real-time. So, you know, it's not just strictly, you know, you're restricted to one character. If you wanted to, you could switch between characters and choose their attacks. It would just really slow down the game. But, like, if you're into that, I imagine it would be really fun. I think one of the things that holds this game back from being one of the best in the series, uh, once the director left and the writer you can, there there's a I don't want to say a steep drop in quality but a noticeable change there there's a notable noticeable change the story kind of stops yeah like it has a satisfying ending but it definitely kind of does just end as a as opposed to like building to this super epic climax that could have been but uh this game is also very Game of Thronesy and political. So if you're really into that, I really suggest the the remaster of this game because it was recently released for the Switch, correct? Yes, it was just recently released for the Switch. Uh, I have the PS4 version, which I have no qualms with. I recommend. It also has a fast forward feature, which allows the game to move a little faster, especially in areas like where you're grinding or like a dungeon's going a little too long. And and I know I told Pat this earlier when I beat this game, but goddamn the what is ultimately the final dungeon? I wanted to, I almost quit. It was fucking bullshit because it, it's like it's three dungeons in in one, and it takes like three hours to complete. But uh, the third and final part, there's a lot of RNG involved is the best way I can describe it. So it's basically just like a lot of like chance and like wish and hope that you get the right thing. Yeah, because basically what you do is you have to choose these uh, correct like teleportation points to take you to the next floor. And you only have two chances to get it right through the entire thing. And if you get 
both those chances wrong, you get sent back to the uh, the bottom of that section where, which that's just to me punishment in and of itself. But then you get bombarded with some of the highest level enemies of the game just as an extra fuck you. And I, I Pat, I wanted to scream. <laughs> But finally did it. I finally got to the end, and it was really freaking good. Just, uh, there, there's a lot about this world. It's one of the world, few few worlds of this game I just want to fucking live in and explore. Because I will say that I, just just seeing the cut scenes and just watching my cousin play, it, it felt like a very, like, lush and vibrant world. Just full of, like, life and, like, very, like, races and characters in it. I feel like... To me, that's one of my favorite things about a fantasy genre. It's just having just a multitude of like life forms and characters just inhabiting the same world that's so much different from our own. Yeah, and, and like each like race and characters from different regions have different, like in like English have different, uh, <coughs> have like different accents. And just like the localization is it, it, in in English anyway, it, it's the best written as far as like dialogue and stuff like that. Uh, like even so much so that like it like it like it's better than like the Japanese version from what people have said. Okay, like so it has like a more nuance and stuff like that. That's really cool. I also will say twelve has a very special place to me because I'll always remember it as the as the place where I learned the word exsanguinated. <laughs> oh, fuck. God, I don't... What What the fuck does that mean? Because there's an item in the game that my cousin found while we were playing. It's called the exsanguinated shield. And exsanguination means death by blood loss. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, that it just sort of, sort of goes to show, like, the level of, like, thought and care and nuance that was put into the... English script of this game and, and basically the only reason they were able to do it was because it was being delayed so much they got the script piecemeal because usually they just get like um, just the entire fucking game plopped into their laps and they have to translate that like for six Ted Woolsey was the only guy doing it, and he only had a month to translate the entirety of Final Fantasy VI. Which is like every bit of dialogue, every bit of like item description, which just seems like a task so large I can't even imagine. How like, and and for a game that came out in 94, like if you do everything, at best you're looking at 60 to 80 hours. So like it's, you know, like that that's a lot of material to translate. Yeah. And I think that's sort of one of the things that led to the, the lackluster original translation. However, like, 12, you don't have any of that. It's just, to me, like, even when there's the dip in quality, it, it's still really freaking good. I was just trying, let's see, was there something else about this game? I, I like, like I said, I, I, I can't sing the game any more praise. Like, like I said, it definitely dips in quality, um, Oh, the, like th- this game has one of the best side quests in the monster hunts, too. Which you go and uh, basically kill these monsters for you know money, and but it really allows you to explore the world and the monsters designs are really freaking cool. But that being said, do I recommend this as a first time Final Fantasy? Not really. While while it is definitely a uh, 
a reflection of what Ivelisse is. I don't think it's definitely the best reflection of the series as a whole. Uh, and for that, I would recommend uh, four for the classic or ten. And that was something I forgot to mention with ten is, like, with the mo modern Final Fantasy, I definitely recommend ten. And that being said, that leads us to probably the most divisive. Like, I, I said, you know, eight was the first one to be divisive, but... Eight, it doesn't compare to the divisiveness of Final Fantasy thirteen, <laughs> and oh boy, do people have a lot of opinions about this. People either fucking think it's the best thing since sliced bread, or they think it it killed their children. Uh, and I sort of fall in the middle. <laughs> uh, uh, I definitely see what they were going for. Uh, there's some stuff I respect about it. I will never play it again. Well, before we get into, like, I guess the more controversial bit, what would be the story of Final Fantasy Thirteen? Okay. Uh, God, this is the one that's the most stupid to fucking <laughs> summarize. <laughs> it, I'm trying to think of a succinct way to summarize it because it's so stupid and convoluted. It follows uh, this group of characters... Uh, led by a lightning, who is the other female protagonist, only other female protagonist of the series. And uh, they basically get branded by these gods of the series of the game as sort of these servants where they have to fulfill what's called the, their focus, which is their, um, predetermined destiny but they don't know what it is so if they don't fulfill their focus they turn into monsters if they do they turn into crystallized statues so either way they're fucked it doesn't sound like a great way to live <laughs> no neither way it, it fucking sucks and like i said that that's the most succinct way i can put it but it, it, this is probably the most convoluted out of the stories. And so much so that, like, you have to read an extensive data log, which is basically an encyclopedia, just to understand what's going on. Because the game will give, like, a bunch of, like, material that you can go through. Collect a lot of the games are sort of, like, just, like, world fillings. give you, like, the extra flavor. Yeah. But in definitely this game is, like practically compulsory if you want to have like a coherent understanding of the story. Yeah. And, and that, that is a definite slight against this game. Apparently, like I was doing a little bit of research in the development of it and, and a lot of it just sort of had to do with like the director of the game was super enthused about it, but not many other people in the development team were. Uh, and so that kind of, as the director describe it he was like there was definitely a lack of shared vision so and it took them a while to actually come up with the story and things like that and they also put more of an emphasis on graphical fidelity yeah and, and it's it looks better than many games like modern games now because i remember this came out what 2010 well I, I think it was 2010 yeah no, excuse me, 2009. Oh, Jesus Christ, even earlier. Because I remember I was in community college when this game came out and I remember talking about it. And, like, it's 
it still holds up almost shit 10 years later. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, it looks better than some games of this generation. And it's definitely leans more back into like the sci-fi edge of the scale. Yeah, I would I mean, I would probably argue this game is more sci-fi than fantasy. Uh, it's the most sci-fi of the Final Fantasies, uh, which that isn't necessarily the biggest problem for me. Uh, a lot of it kind of just has to do with writing. Because um, any sort of aesthetic, you know, difference in taste, that's just sort of like a small thing. Because definitely something like... It's very superficial. S- story cohesion and like character development, that's to me is more integral to like my enjoyment of a story of a, of a, of a property. Yeah, 100%. It, it's just... And a lot of it just has to do with a lot of the character writing. Uh, when literally half of your playable cast is unfucking bearable, there's a problem because there are six playable characters and only three of the like three of them are like the literal worst. And because you got Snow, who is basically that twenty-one-year-old guy who hangs out at the high school, he, he's just like a fucking creep. But take a shot at how many times he says he's going to be the fucking hero at the beginning of the game. You will die, literally. <laughs> it, it's, and then that's just... And, and then there's hope. Oh my god, hope. I wanted to fucking strangle this. Um, is that Lightning's sister? No. that uh, Hope is this little boy who... Uh, he, he's just a little bitch baby the entire time. <laughs> He's just whiny, irritating. There's, like, no redeemable qualities about him. And, and like, uh, at the beginning of the game, Snow tries to save his mom, Hope's mom, but uh, ends up, like, losing grip of her, and she falls to her death. And But Hope, he sees it from afar, and he thinks he let her go. But because we know what actually happened, like, the entire time... Like, the audience is just like, oh, my God, Hope, shut the fuck up. It's when, when dramatic irony goes wrong. Yeah, when dramatic irony goes wrong. Uh, and, 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 and <laughs> well, 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 I'm sorry, but what's the name of the fellow with the chocobo in his hair? Saz. Saz is the best fucking character in the game. He, I love Saz. And also, he's a dad. He's a great dad. He, he is the most human character in not only in the game but I would argue in the series he like I don't know what it was he was just really well written and, and especially for a, a a man of color specifically a black guy in, in the series like like Barrett is an interesting character but he, the template for which they build on him is a Mr. T archetype yeah uh, whereas, like, Saz feels like a real person. Yeah. Uh, and then Vanille, the now, other... Now, Vanille, that, she's Lightning's sister. No. Damn it. <laughs> I, 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 I keep... Sa- Sarah's Lightning's sister. Because, like, cause like, like I said, I have a very broad overview of the series. So, like, and plus I'm trying to recall a game that I was in, into about 10 years ago, only yeah. from, like, a... Like a like outside perspective, so I'm trying to like piece this shit back together. But also for whatever reason, I'm getting like big Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes just between like you have lightning 
mm-hmm. as a character. And she has a little sister that people didn't like. Yeah, like Lightning is very much your typical strong female protagonist. Not necessarily a bad way. I like I, I think she she is a good protagonist. She she's just kind of bland. She's kind of like stereotypical military female character. Like if you know that arc. Like she she is a very like competent and capable character, but I guess she doesn't have much in the way of as much as like a personality to herself. Yeah, and and, and I've heard a lot of people say like the characters get exponentially better in the sequels because this game sold like 6 million copies in initially and but it took like it's a 60 hour game so it took a while before people were willing to admit this game isn't that great so because that's that's one of the biggest contentions about the game is that there's a very extended prologue essentially in the game where we had where we had the devote so much time to the game to where it's it's essentially still kind of leading you through the process. Uh, the game doesn't fully open up until 20 hours in. And that, to me, that's just unforgivable. That's a, that's a very big time investment for our player and to still only be like what would you essentially be doing within the first few hours of any given game that you'd be, that you're so far into your gaming experience and this is still essentially a quote a tutorial type of thing, but basically, and and, and like I, I like this game more than most, but yeah, it's and then on top of that, like the dungeons are just fucking like there's no reason they should be as long as they are because they like and and it wouldn't be so bad if there was a little bit of variety, but like while I I really enjoyed the gameplay of Final Fantasy thirteen. It is very. I'm trying to think of the correct term. It's it can become very monotonous very quickly. Okay. <clears throat> because you're kind of doing the sort of same thing over and over. But uh, similar to twelve, the gameplay is pseudo real time, where you control mostly one character, the party leader, and uh, each character gets a. Uh, three specific jobs and normally they you know they would be like you know like knights black mage stuff like that but for some reason i think they were trying to uh, appeal to the western demographic because at this time call of duty was the biggest thing so like the uh the classes are commando ravager and i'm like fuck off Sounds, it sounds very like try hard, mm-hmm. but uh, since there's only like six classes, how you combine those classes together, you create what are called paradigms, and you can switch those paradigms on the fly and to to suit a specific situation. And, and I really enjoy that. But like the bit, like 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 everyone says, the game is Holloway Simulator. It's very linear. Even the level progression is very linear. Because, like, 10 had the sphere grid, which you could do a lot of customizing with. 12 had the license board that you could do a lot of customizing with. But this is very straightforward and, like, not a fun way. It feels it feels like you're very stifled in what you can do. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, the game doesn't really open up until, like, 20 hours in. 
and and theoretically every character can learn any class but there there's no incentive to because each character is suited for three in particular mm-hmm. and so it's better to pick stay on that intended track yeah instead of deviating to do something else uh I, now i will say like uh the be- best example i can give of this is uh both hope and Saz can be um, our synergist, which is like uh, is a buff part. Uh, basically, is uh, centered around buffing your party. But basically, giving them like increased, increased like uh, increased like their attributes, like like strength and speed and durability mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which. It, oh, uh, kind of a sidetrack. Uh, that that's one of the things I do like about this game is buffs and debuffs are very important. Because uh, in a lot of games past, they're just kind of there. They're mostly for enemies to inflict on you, and you have to deal with them. Yeah. But uh, in this game, like buffing yourself and debuffing the enemy is really important. Um, but both of them are synergists, but they learn different techniques at different times. Like I think Saz gets access to haste a lot earlier, but Hope gets a lot of other really good abilities earlier than Saz does. So, uh, like, once you have the ability to choose your party, it's about, well, who do I... It's like, well, who, which character do I want? Do I want this character who's, who has haste where I can make my party faster, or do I want a character that can buff me up stronger? So there's a lot of cool like strategy that's involved there. However, it's like I said, once the the game is just really monotonous and by the t- I put it down like this was actually the first game in the series I ever played. Uh cuz it was the one of the first games I got for the when I got a PlayStation 3 cuz I was like, "Oh, I got a I was like, I want to get in Final Fantasy. Might as well start with the newest one, right?" <laughs> I was like, "Uh, well, whoopsie." Uh but, I mean, even then I didn't hate it. It wasn't until I played the rest of them and I was like, oh. And plus, like, you didn't really have much to com- compare it to, so it may not, the, its flaws may not have been as apparent. It, but, exactly. but even then you can still tell, like, what's fun and what isn't. Yeah, I got, to, I remember getting to a specific point and just kind of getting bored with it. Yeah. Which was about, like, halfway through. Uh, and and the, the I was, I'm, I'm trying to stay spoiler-free. But, like, the ending to the game is, like, really fucking weird. It ends on a Leona Lewis song. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fucking bizarre. And, like, because there, there is a sequel to 13, right? The Lightning Returns? There there are two sequels. There's, there's, there's 13-2 and then Lightning Returns, which is 13-3. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's fucking... Because, like, Square saw the success that the first 13 made, and they were like you know what, we're going to do not one sequel, but two. And then and then once everybody start, then they realized they fucked up when everyone was like, 13 sucks. And, not, and, and, and to say nothing to Final Fantasy versus 13. Oh, we're going to get to that. But, um, but I will say one last bit about 13. One of my favorite sort of quirks about this installment is that essentially each of your six characters gets a gets a summon and they're like these transformers. Basic, yeah, 
Uh, like, like they have like a vehicle form that your character rides on, and also like their I guess their manifest form because like lightnings is Odin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, <coughs> I forgot what hit. Like he's just a guy on horseback, but uh, like Saz, I forgot the name of. His. I think he, his might be Phoenix because um, but his Snows is Shiva. Snows is Shiva, and or it's the Shiva sisters, and they turn into a motorcycle. Saz's turns into a fucking sports car. It looks really cool. Now, is it um, Lightning Sister that has a heck of an air? No, that's Vanille. Vanille. Because I remember, I remember like, there's there's some reoccurring summons with this game, like Odin and Shiva and whatnot. But also, like, heck of an air is like a, a mythological character you rarely hear anything about. And mm-hmm. cause that's the, the great mythological monster that has, like, 50 heads and 100 arms. Yeah. It's like, when do you ever hear about that? Exactly. And, and I think she is the last one to get the summon, too. Like, you don't get you don't get hers until, like, chapter 12 of 13. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like, I, I do like the summon system in the game. Uh, it could have been implemented better, but, like, th- they look fucking cool. Yeah. They're, if you haven't seen them, just go check those out, the, uh, the summons from Final Fantasy 13. They're... It's a it's a very unique and innovative take on the system they've had since you know Three. almost since the series began. Yeah. Um, so like when they initially announced thirteen, which I think was like two thousand six or something like that, they uh, they were announcing this just big fuck all project, which was called the Faba Fabla Novala Cristalis. Uh, it's Gesundheit. Yeah, it's some sort of fucking Latin for something. It's like another crystal story or something like that, uh, which would have 13, its two sequels, uh, versus 13, which ultimately became 15, and I think Type Zero, uh, which is a spinoff game that people, like, there stands for Type Zero. I've never played it, but... uh, and versus so versus thirteen got in was the other one that got introduced at the time, which was uh, supposed to be Tetsuya Nomura's big baby, and it was uh, you know you know Noctis was very emo and uh, there there was a lot of and and it ultimately turned into FF fifteen, which if you don't know was released in two thousand sixteen. It literally. It was like 10 years. Like, the game wasn't being actively developed for that time. I think it was only being worked on for like five. It's just, it's just a process of like starting one game, it sort of going through this process, dropped and picked up, dropped and picked up, mm-hmm. changing hands, changing iterations. So, like, and, and it changed like directors because originally it was supposed to be Tetsuya Nomura. Yeah. But then uh, uh, the story goes uh, he saw Les Miserables. And he come, he walks into the executive's office and he's like, guys, guys, listen, what if we make this game a musical? <laughs> and they were like, no, you're gone. Go away. <laughs> he's like, but no, like imagine the Atlantic sections from Kingdom Hearts 2, but an entire game. No, go away. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, it, it is funny how much of a hard-on he had to do a musical-based game. 
and how everybody was just emphatically, no, we're not doing that. Yeah, supposedly, you know, allegedly. Th- that, that's the story that goes around. We'll never know for sure until somebody comes out and says, but that's like the, the narrative that's been propagated this whole time. Yeah. Uh, and I think, but like, he, he's now directing uh, the remake of Seven, so I guess he's <laughs> redeemed himself in the eyes of the execs. But just wait till like the DLC where it has um, Cloud and Drag doing like this dance sequence in the Honey Hive. Oh yeah, uh, and I would pay a fifty more dollars to play that. Uh, but uh, so yeah, fifteen was a very troubled development, and it is the to to the date of this podcast the most recent version of the game or most recent entry in the game in, in the, the mainline series. series. Yeah. Um, it follows uh, Noctis, who's this prince of this kingdom uh, called Insomnia, who, after his father dies in a political assassination, basically has to travel the world uh, to get the power of the kings in order to defeat uh, this invading empire, which uh, I know I said with 10 it had the ability to be the best game in the series, but God, 15 had the potential just be fucking amazing. Uh, but there are a lot of things that hold it back, in my opinion. Uh, I know it was re- it was reviewed very well when it came out. Uh, but, yeah, there there's just a lot of things here and there. Uh, and I think it's out of the one out of the games I played. It's the one I haven't completed fully. And that was because of uh, the game let's be frank, wasn't finished when it was released. So yeah. there was a bunch of DLC and added story content that uh, story content that was added later. So I was like, fuck it, I'll wait till they get done with that before picking it back up. Uh, because from the story side, the biggest issue I have with 15 is it's, you know the criticism, all setup, no payoff. This game is all payoff with no setup. <laughs> okay. So, ev- like, there's these big climactic moments of the game that I'm watching, and I'm like, you know, like, if this was properly set up, this would be fucking impactful. But it's just not, because there's... Because, like you said, it was sort of giving you, it like, incomplete. So, like, I feel like they had, like, these big, like, tent poles pre-established it it just didn't work out how they got there yeah and what really did it for me is there's a major character death about halfway through and it was a character i was like really interested in getting to knowing and then it is just killed and i was like well if i knew this character i would care but i don't know this character really and i'll they they did this and I hope they really get away from this in future installments. But what they call it is a media mix approach where they were not only did they release the game, they released a full CGI movie, uh, Kingsglaive. Yes, um, I think I think I remember seeing that or because is there's a there's a movie, like a CG like short. There's also like an anime, like a traditional mm-hmm. anime short. I think I've seen one of those. Yeah, that. The anime is okay. It, the animation's like pretty cheap, but it really sets up the main four to where they're at at the beginning of the game. You don't need it, 
but um, it just gives you an extra bit of like context and information. Yeah. Now, now I do recommend if you're going to play this game to watch the the CGI movie. Uh, I got when I uh, I pre-ordered the deluxe edition that came with it. Uh, so. Uh, I remember like everyone was like making a big deal because the king that ends up getting killed at the beginning of the the end of the movie, but the beginning of the game is voiced by Sean Bean in the movie. That's right. They had like some, because this is part of this era of video games where you have like the celebrity voice actors, the celebrity actors actually in the game. So like, this, I feel like that was part of that emerging trend in games. Yeah. And, and not, but like not to criticize Sean Bean too much. Uh, I just don't think he really had the time or the passion for it. Because, like, the voice actor for that character in the game is phenomenal. But, like, in the movie, he's just kind of walking. He's going through the motions. It, it kind of feels like they're just, like, really just showing off that, hey, we got this big name actor yeah. to be in our game. Yeah, and I know, like, a, there, a big thing was that uh, there was a lot of very obvious advertising in the game, too, like, like the most cup. most infamously the cup noodle noodle cup yes. promotion, which I I will stand that that side quest. It's so fun <laughs> because uh, one of uh, your buddies named Gladio, he's like, I really like cup noodles. Let's go get some cup noodles. Be sure to emphasize that we're getting cup noodles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and then he's like, Noctis, I really like cup noodles. And then, of course, there was the Audi uh, advertising. Yeah, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of real-world product placement in this game. Yeah, which is fucking bizarre. Which, uh, this kind of leads into sort of the gameplay uh, of the game, which was, one, it was the first real-time. Uh, it was is a full-blown action RPG. You were control, like... Eventually, they did an update where you can switch between characters, but initially, you could only control Noctis. But you, uh, but you know, you do every attack manually and things like that. Um, and as far as the combat goes, it's very fluid. And in that sense, it was really fun. And when the story wasn't really hooking me, the game was. And then on top of that, it was the first, first and. Fingers crossed, only open world Final Fantasy. Because we talked earlier about how they, I feel like they're making some decisions in the production of the game to maybe endear it more to a Western audience. And I definitely feel like an open world sandbox like game has a a bigger affection in the states than mm. maybe maybe it's so much so in in the other parts of the world. And I feel definitely like that was a choice they made that to help make it sell better to an American audience. But at the same time, like... But the, the American audience who is playing Final Fantasy are wanting Japanese RPGs. So, so like, you're not really going to have that mass market appeal. So, like, that dedicated audience is still going to play. And more often than not, they may not be the biggest fans of open world game. Because, like, there is, you know, a a lot of strengths that can come with open world games. Oh, yeah. There's also some detriments, like a lack of direction a, a, or big thing, just a lack of content to build these big worlds. Uh, yeah. Like, and this is sort of my, like, I'm not the biggest fan of Bethesda RPGs like fallout and, uh, 
Elder Scrolls. Uh, and, and to me, and it's just because it feels like a vast ocean that's ankle deep. Uh, like, to me, the only open world game that had any, like, a wealth of content that was worth exploring was The Witcher 3. And, you know, that that's just probably the best game in the past decade. <laughs> yeah. So, like, and, and Witcher 3, this game is not. And even then, I would argue The Witcher 3 definitely... The main campaign has some story issues with uh, uh, just because of the lack of direction. It kind of is kind of like this and like flatline, and then it really spikes at the end. But that's Witcher three. Uh, but Final Fantasy fifteen. Uh, but only like I'd say like half the game is open world, and then there's a moment where it is like. If you want to do exploring, you better go ahead and do it because this is a point of no return. And then it goes from literally you can do anything to just railroad. It, it puts you on the plot train and you can't err from it. No. And, and like, there, which, like, I, I really wish they had the time and the resources to really make the entire game open world because that would have been really freaking cool because there was a lot of like especially the enemy empire i wish you could really explore that but sadly you can't it's just sort of like railroaded from plot point to plot point to the end of the game yeah because i will say there were there are a few things about the, about the scale of the game i really do enjoy like i remember there was a bit where a player i was watching use a summon and it was like amazing how uh, I think I think it must. It's like a lightning summon, like Ramu. You picked up uh, Noctis and just he shot a bolt of lightning to the ground that just literally incinerated like a mile wide area. It's like holy shit. Yeah, the the summons are epic as shit. The biggest issue I have with the summons though are unlike previous games, the summons are random. So you can't control who you summon. No, it, it's all about where you're at on the map. Okay, so that's like, interesting. Uh, if annoying, but it's definitely different. Yeah, because like the Ramu one is really epic, but that's the one you'll see the most because you're mostly his. He mostly shows up in grassland areas, which is most of the open world. So that's the one you're going to see the most. Like you won't see Titan unless you're in sort of like a very deserty, rocky terrain, and there's only one section of the map that's that. So you're rarely there. Mm-hmm. But um. Now, as far as, like, side content, there there's a plethora to do. Uh, I think the side quests are some of the best side quests out there. I will say, cause there's, like, a like a, a diner you can go into. You can play, like, a this little arcade game. that I love the art style in this arcade game. Because mm-hmm. like, this is very much reminiscent of, like, the Golden Saucer from, from back in the day. From how seven. You, how you could just, like, invest a whole bunch of time in just, like, little bitty games. You just... Never mind that this is a world-threatening plot to get to, but you can take all the time in the world to play this little game. Yeah, 100%. And, and uh, one thing I like is the the car you get, the regalia. Uh, you can, uh, each little town you go to, you can buy various tracks from previous Final Fantasies. So you can listen to your favorite Final Fantasy tunes as you're driving. And it, it, I don't know. I just really enjoy. So that. when you're in your car with your other anime boyfriends, you can be like blasting like 
the Final Fantasy tunes. Oh, yeah. And speaking of anime boyfriends, the selling point of this game is the bromance. God, they're like, these are, so, I really love these characters, but what really sells it is just their love and affection for each other. They're just so ride or die. It's, oh, it's that's, that's what you want. You want your Rose to be ride or die. I feel like that was a really good thing. It was able, as, as many hits and misses as 15 has, and I've heard the most consistent thing has just been the the relationship between the, the main four. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so endearing, and, and especially as it goes later on. And, like, I've seen shots of the final boss, and it's just like it hits you in the feels. Like you just you just want like be arm in arm with your with your best dude like fighting like this big monster literally killing God through the power of friendship exactly that that's what that's what Final Fantasy does best and <laughs> you know but, but this time you're all playing these like different versions of your of your favorite anime boyfriend flavors uh, you got you got the sullen loner you got the smart guy you got the beefy boy you got the twinkie boy a hundred percent it's just uh I love it. Um, that being said, uh, as you can probably hear, I, I don't really recommend this game, uh, for first time players, even though I've known a lot of people personally who this was their first final fantasy and they just fucking loved it. Uh, it, it, the biggest thing with me is just the story. It's there, there's a lot of moments that I'm like, that would have been so great if you led up to it properly. But, um, you know, it, it's on all major consoles, so like, right now. Uh, so, uh, probably the preferred version would probably be the PC version, which would probably be any game in that sense. Because I think there's, like, mod support and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, plus, you know, depending on how, how you built your PC, it could be, you know, fucking amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, so that that's sort of... My overall opinion and recommendation of all the games in the series uh, that I've played so far. So, uh, it's sort of like the send-off to this episode. That's like probably three hours at this point. Let's see. Fuck, I can't see. I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> we're, we're getting close to three and a half hours here. God damn. I knew this episode was going to be long, but not. I didn't expect it to be this long. But, um... The, the, the cap is off for today. Jonathan's going to get through his uh, his tier list, his rankings for the Final Fantasy. And this will be sort of say, uh, ranked from F, D, C, B, A, S. Yes. And this is, uh, this is, this is of, the, of all the Final Fantasy we mentioned. And uh, let's kind of go through this breakdown. What is on your tier list? What's, what will be starting on the lowest level on the F tier Final Fantasy? F tier? F, F, F. Ah, uh, I there's only one, I will say, and can you guess which one it is? Hmm. <laughs> you got a guess? I have an idea. It is Final Fantasy Two, because God, this game was the only one I com- did not complete out of frustration. It's too grindy, and the story is too basic to keep me interested. So. We have the low inhabitor of the F tier. So moving on to the D tier, who inhabits this land? Uh, Who's the Kathy Griffin of Final Fantasies? <laughs> I get that reference. Uh, the first Kathy Griffin of this would be thirteen. <laughs> uh, 
I hate to be such a hater because I feel like this game gets unfairly maligned, but it has a very there there are obvious diff- flaws that you just can't overlook. Exactly. Um, just it, it's linear. It's repetitive. It literally takes twenty hours before the game fully opens up. To me, those are just unforgivable. Okay, so now I think that might be the only D because, yeah, that would be the only D, D tier. All right, uh, so what's what's in the C list? What's on the, the mid-tiers of Final Fantasy? Uh, like, for me, like, for this list, the bottom and the top, I know what they are. But the middle chunk of this, uh, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Um, and this is just one man's opinion of the franchise. Uh, save your vitriol for. Yeah, please, please don't eviscerate me. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't attack him on Twitter. Yes, please don't. Um, I'd probably say Final Fantasy One. It, it I, I appreciate it for what it did for the series, and you know, getting it started, but. It's it's the most basic form of it, so it can't really compare to all the innovations that's come since its release. Yeah, that's basically what it boils down to. So, we got Final Fantasy One. Um, next in C tier, <laughs> it's between two. I'm gonna have to go with fifteen. Uh. 15 had so much potential, but it's just sad to see see it put here. There's there's definitely a lot that this kind of came to in, like, behind-the-scenes thing that kind of handicapped this game. Yeah, 100%. And then then I'd pay, say, 8. Uh, there, there's a lot to love about 8, but when literally the gameplay... Like, the only way I can recommend it is to tell you to cheat. Uh, that's a big problem. But, like, like I like the story, and even though the characters don't get a lot to do or don't have a lot of characterization, they are, they're pretty endearing overall. Uh, now we're going to B, which... And the thing is, we've only plotted five games, and there's still several left to go, so I feel like... Uh, that just kind of shows a testament to the series how strong it is. These each individual ones, because the top three tiers are all like high end, yeah, well respected parts of the series. Yeah, and, and I I will reiterate this. This isn't necessarily a reflection of each game's quality. These are just my personal opinions on how they affected me and how I would rank them. And the reason I make that disclaimer right now is because I'm about to bring out my hottest take. Oh, nine, nine's going on the B tier. Nine's going on the B tier. I respect it. It just left. There was just a lot about that game, especially the latter half of the game, that left me cold. No, we'll see. I feel like, in terms of like general consensus, like feelings I've sort of picked up from just like pop culture osmosis. That's a fairly generous take for nine because i feel like it's seems to be more to middling to lower um 
what the impression for me, the fan, like that's sort of the mainstream, the fandom. It's really high. It's like S rank for a lot of like most people. Mm -hmm. So like, like I said, that that's why I say it's a hot take and please don't get offended when I attack your favorite game. This is just sort of my opinion, which I, I will say the, the B and C tier they can change. They a lot of these are interchangeable. And, so and there's definitely like some fluidity between these sort of tiers. Yeah, and, and I and probably if I played nine again, uh, it would probably be higher because I've only played it once and it was a few years ago. So take that what you will. Oh, now this is fucking hard. Mm. Because it's always harder to rank the games that you don't have as strong as opinion for, or for like, or like you, you have you have the ones that you know for a fact is going to be like top tier, and then sort of filling in the blanks is definitely the harder part. Yeah, and, and like the thing is, is like it's hard to put one above the other because I like these games for different reasons. I prob as much as I hate to say it, I'd probably go with twelve. Uh, 12 is now a member of the B tier. 12 is B tier. Uh, and, and it's just because the game is... The, the game, there is a definite drop in quality uh, towards the, the latter quarter of the game. Uh, and and uh, something I, I don't think I mentioned is the dungeons are definitely fucking long in that game. And they don't need to be as long as they are, but that. But like, I, I hate putting it in B because it has some of my favorite characters in the series, and even though the plot may fall off, it's still fucking compelling. Uh, and I think that's the end of B. Oh, there's only two members of the B tier. Only two members of the B tier. And how many games do we have left? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Uh. I'm not ranking three just because I haven't played it. Uh, so three will say in the sort of like uncategorized tier. Yeah, the 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 tier like I'm on the tier list webs the tier maker website right now, and this list that I have there's a bunch of games like eleven, fourteen, after years, ten two, ten like thirteen two like all the sequels and stuff, and they're going in the not not available. Um. Ooh, this one's hard too. Because uh, it definitely has to have to have like a certain pedigree to mate the A tier. Yeah, uh, it, it, these two, these two, these next two, I'm going to say are equal. It just depends on what day you ask me. Uh, today, I'm feeling ten is next. Uh, I know a lot of people will be like, "What? Ten is S tier," and or like top of the A tier, but uh, like like I said, I f like even though the game is more about the journey than the destination, uh, to me the ending is weak. Uh, when Titus sort of hijacks it, it kind of gets on my nerves. But th th but that's not to say I mean it's still A rank. That's still like like it's, it's still an extremely respectable entry in the Final Fantasy. It's it's at the top a hundred percent. And and then the game that it, it's sort of tied with is five, like like I, I know a lot of people would probably put five lower, but for me five is just fun. Like even though the villain may be weak, 
uh, just the characters, their banter. It, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it gives me the warm and fuzzies. I really, I, I just really enjoy it. And, and then the job system is just fucking great. Like, what's not to love about that? Uh, and then the last one of A tier. Now I know for a fact where these are going. Okay, Next, so what are the three remaining Final Fantasies that we have to rank? Four, six, and seven. All right. So was so what game is going into the final rung of the A tier? Four. Uh, four is a masterpiece. Uh, one of the best soundtracks of the series. Some of the best characters of the series. I think the only reason that it it that holds it back, it does get a little convoluted at the end. Uh, I know I've said that a lot about the games, but uh. That that's just a, a staple of the series, like anything else in it. Yeah, basically, like when when you fly a fucking whale to space, that's a spoiler, but not really. It's 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 like it's like it's, it's not so, like you know we keep saying it's the journey, not the destination. So like the plots and sort of the clarity of it, that kind of falls by the wayside. You can like there's been things I enjoy where the plot that make a lick of sense, but I still enjoy the, the fucking crazy ass ride it took me on oh a hundred percent and like i said just keep in mind this is still a a tier and i know probably probably some people would have it lower but just i don't know this game hit me more than some of the games right below it now the last two six and seven rs rank and how i'm pretty sure everyone knows how i'm going to rank these okay so, for S tier, we're going Final Fantasy Seven for number two. It like even with all its fault, uh, the faults of the original seven, it, it's still a near perfect game. Uh, just mostly from the writing, even like in, even in English where the translation is poo poo, you still the characters still come across. They're just really fucking good. Uh, even like, even the optional characters of Yuffie and T, uh, uh, Yuffie and Vincent are just—they have their own arcs that are really fleshed out, and, and I never play the game without getting them because they feel that essential. And then, of course, you know, by process of elimination, that leaves Final Fantasy VI. Uh, to me, this is a perfect, almost a perfect game. It's just. A fucking masterpiece. Uh, uh, the definitely the best sco- uh, soundtrack to any of them. Like, I mean, I every day kind of just put this on shuffle. There, there's a lot of and for a game that's 16 bit sprites for a game that can make me fucking ball my eyes out. It six is and and, and like I hate to say that because it's not like. I hate to like oversell the game and then someone walks into it and it's like, well, it's not that good, but I don't know. Just the, the you're, you're only articulating how much it means to you. Yeah. And, and I think it, it, a lot of it just has to do with, I love the characters. Um, and, and also too like just the themes of this game really resonate with me. It, it's very much a, a, a game about finding your own meaning and, in life and finding what's important to you. And, and while that may not be novel, but 
at the same time, for some reason, this game, it, it just really affected me emotionally. And, yeah, that's Final Fantasy. That, that's, we have the Jonathan ranking. So let's go through this ranking all together now that we have all the pieces in place. What's on the F tier? The F tier, we got Final Fantasy 2. Uh, D tier? 13. C tier? Uh, from uh, sort of ranking them uh, least to best out of this tier. One, fifteen, and eight. B tier. Uh, nine and twelve. A tier. Uh, ten, five, and four. And the creme de la creme, the, the top of the top, S tier Final Fantasies. Six, I mean seven and six. All right, that that is the definitive Jonathan ranking. And uh, thank you, Jonathan, so much for taking us through Final Fantasy, giving us your just breadth of knowledge on the franchise as a whole. Talk about this thing for nearly four hours. It's like I, I was scared I wasn't going to be come to this podcast with enough enthusiasm. But like once I started talking, I'm like, fuck, it all came out. It all came and out. You, you can really tell you just like you, you, you ran the gamut. You really gave us an impression. It just gave me a lot of knowledge for the series and gave, gave me some things to think about about trying to franchise out for myself when it comes to the main line. And thank you for that. Applause for Jonathan. Woo. Very nice. And um, before the rest of this margarita goes to my head, I think we're going to close out <laughs> things for today. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, we'll probably post, uh, if I can uh, download this, uh, we can post this to Twitter, the tier list. So we'll let, let everybody take a beat for that yourself. So thank you all for joining us today. And um, like I said, things will be in a bit more of a transitive influx period going forward. Yeah. It might be just us for a bit. So please bear with us and uh, please be safe out there in the world. We're doing our best and so should you. Yeah. And, uh, Social but, distance, stay home. So we're practicing that, that here on the podcast. And uh, But we're definitely considering all our options uh, lately. So if anything big changes with the show, we will, we will let you know on all of our social platforms so once again thank you all for listening it's been a great time just to, the journey to the final fantasy you can follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at ayc podcast you can follow us on soundcloud itunes google play google podcast apple podcast overcast spotify and be sure to like rate review and subscribe on all those platforms that really helps us out be able to be heard by more people seen by more people and just sort of just spread the banter around you can follow us on Letterbots at All You Can Hear. You can follow us on Facebook at All You Can Hear. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash All You Can Hear. And all of our VODs on Twitch are saved to our YouTube at All You Can Hear. We did a playthrough, Jonathan and I did, of the Final Fantasy VII Remake. And there are plans to, to stream the remake when it does come out, whenever that is. Things are still in flux with that as well. Yeah. So, But there are plans for to stream that, so stay tuned to our socials for that. Yeah. And also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, AY, excuse me, plug mode. You can follow me on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram at John Lost His Name and follow my art on Facebook at John Lost His Name Art. Alrighty, I changed my Twitter handle. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyBoy24. That is J O N I I B O I 24. And then Letterbox is still the same. It's still John Odinson 12. So thank you all very much. Uh, for listening. Uh, be safe out there. We'll be talking to you soon. Stay home. Goodbye.